Now we just what, spend another ten minutes waiting for Calvin to uh, <laughs> pick up his phone. Sounds about right. All right. Darn it, Calvin. Yeah, always waiting on him to get his ass out of the dumpster. <laughs> <laughs> Source for community, strategy, and technology, hosted on mtgcast.com and our home site, commandercast.com. We're recording this on August 20th, 2015. I'm your host of the show, William. Calvin is not here because he refuses to pick up his phone. So instead, I've got the rest of the usual crew here today, starting with Mark. Thank you for coming here today. Anytime, man. Anytime. We've got the Commander Panda Clay. Hey. And joining us today as our special guest, we've got Cassie Silver from TCG Player. Hey. So, Cassie, what is it that you do for TCG Player? What do you write about? Oh, uh, I write about uh, Commander. I'm the the one that, I'm like the token Commander writer there. They don't care if I do a good job or not. <laughs> 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 uh, just kidding. <laughs> um, mostly, you know, I write about multiplayer, and I write about I write a lot about like a dual one on one because that's what we play at my store. Uh, and mostly, I just like to write new decks. That's, I've been doing this for so long that like I kind of covered every single deck. So whenever new legends come out, I'm like, oh, give me. <laughs> Um, man, was it was it easy or hard to make decks for the Plumanders that just came out? I think it, it was easier or hard in some ways. Like, uh, I think uh, in Red and White's case, you know, uh, Katian and Chandra, like, Red and White need help anyways, and they're fun to play with. But, like, it's like, oh, you could play as Jace, or I could play as Arcanus, or anything else on the planet, you know? So, uh, it, it's, it depends on the color, really, you know? All right. And, Calvin, did you just join the call? Calvin? Here comes the new challenger! Psych! Uh, what do you want? No. Oh, there oh. he is! Oh! There he is! Calvin, what took you? Yes. <laughs> I told you, I have, I told you, with the current living situation here, with my mom now in North Carolina, I have to take my kids to school and I have to do a later shift on Thursday. Huh, I don't, I don't get until, I don't get home till about 7.30. You didn't tell me this. Yeah, I did. No, you didn't. I'm pretty sure I did. Pretty sure you didn't. Well, even if, if I didn't, then oh well, that's what the situation is. I'm here, but you know, it just takes me about an extra half an hour to get here to normal. Alright then, I'll make a mental note that to push the hard 7.30 date then. Cause no, before no, no, it was like... You can, no, you can keep it at 7, I can always just crash back in at 7.30 when I do get here. <laughs> well, now you've got 20 minutes of dangly bits to work with. Yeah, I've got plenty of time and plenty of things to play around with, and hey, you know. And if we're speaking of dangly bits, uh, in case anyone out there who doesn't know who I am, I'm Calvin. I'm known as Captain Resident on the Internet. Have we actually <laughs> gone to the intro of the show yet? <laughs> yes, we were actually at, talking to Cassidy about how he writes for a TCG player. 
All right. So, yeah. Hey, Cass, what's going on, man? I haven't talked hey, to you in, like, yeah. eternities. Been a while, that's for sure. So, for people who might not have been around in Commander Cass's ye olden days, what was it that you guys did together? Uh, back in the day? Me and Cass? Let's see here. I did uh, 3DFace.blogspot.com that became 3DFace.com. And Cassidy was one of the main editors that was working on, uh, well, he basically did commander stuff for TCG player, but he was also willing to help edit and read over, uh, at that time, any bloggers that were in the knowledge pool. Mm-hmm. We all basically, like, kind of took our articles, threw it into the knowledge pool, and Cassidy was one of the few people that would go through everything, read everybody's articles, and help them with editing. And I would shoot him some of my articles, not like the earlier ones. I would say like after like the first, I don't know, like after the first like 15 articles I wrote, it's somewhere around the time when I got linked up with Cassidy through Andy. And from that point forward, like every time I wrote an article, I would shoot it over to Cassidy. He'd read over it, let me know what was wrong if I had something like misspelled or uh, incorrect combo that was in there. (laughs) Every once in a while. I don't even know what that card is, Calvin. <laughs> I said, like, like, no, no, I'm serious. Like, read it. Here it is. It's like, here's the gathering. And I show it to him. And the cast, he's like, no, nah, ah, oh, I know what you're talking about. That doesn't work the way you're describing. And I'm like, oh, it doesn't? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> then I had to, like, re- then I had to like totally rearrange that entire paragraph of the article and find another reason to include that card into the deck. Mm-hmm. And then from that point forward, inevitably, we both got tapped by Chris and jumped into OCC, okay. where we basically... Get yeah, our color cast for anyone out there that doesn't know. That's basically where me and Cassidy got a chance to talk about wrestling for about 30, 40 minutes. And then somewhere <laughs> about half an hour after that, we got a chance to talk about magic. Yeah. And then, what was it? Then Andy left Commander Cast. I uh, jumped over here with you and Cassidy still doing his TCG thing and got his own store. And then Chris uh, disappeared into the ether and got married. True. Uh, that's a downfall. Many a person. Yeah. <laughs> And ever since, and then from that point forward, uh, anybody that follows the site knows what I do here. Like basically I'm the audio producer for this show and several others that are currently on the Commander Cast Network. Like every show that's on here? <laughs> Not every show. There's like two shows on here I don't get to edit. There's uh, The Stack and Rivals Duel. Those are the only two I don't get a, t- a chance to run my fingers through. But I do get a chance to, on most, on some occasions, get a chance to pre-listen to um, The Stack so I can uh, like let them know, like, oh, yeah, you might want to, like, shut up, Nami. I love them. No, you might want to change this, edit this, or cut this. <laughs> All right, then. So, with those out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into favorite commanders this week. Cassidy, since you're the guest, go ahead and start us off. Who's your favorite commander this week and why? Um, Definitely it's Bobo Rigmos Enraged. And why? Because I play him every week in uh in my French uh, tournaments, my one-on-one tournaments, and uh I lose every time. Uh, <laughs> the whole deck only works if I get scape shift and, and like, valicate people to death. Otherwise, like, the deck does nothing. <laughs> and that's why I love it. All right, then. There's Mark, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with throwing rocks at people. Speaking of which, hey, Mark. Favorite commander. Hey. Where you want to throw a rock at you, Mark? Yeah, I was trying to I was trying to catch that reference as I was catching the, the throw, and I'm like, uh, I'll just let it pass. Who cares? Uh, this week, my favorite commander is Glissa the Trader. I've been trying to rework my uh, Glissa Eggs deck because it's artifacts, so duh, I'm playing it. So it's basically tiny little artifacts, you know, that, that she keeps throwing out to you know, make some kind of stupid combo. Usually tries to win with, like, Tendrils of Agony because I'm super clever. Um, and then that's about it. And I get to play dumb artifacts and then kill people and get my artifacts back. Yay. So, 
Black Green used to be called The Rock. That's right. And Dwayne. Throwing Rocks. No, Are it they... wasn't about throwing rocks. When did so, it used to be called The Rock? Could could uh could the Executioner's Capsule Loop with Glissa be considered throwing rocks at people? Uh, I mean, you definitely throw uh, capsules at people. I wouldn't consider that because Executioner's Cap... Does Executioner's have um, tap for mana? Uh, no. No. Then nope, it's not a matter of who's to say who's to say that the message inside the capsule isn't actually just a mechanical arm that throws a rock at your face uh, or it hits you oh, on oh, the back. Oh. Uh, actually, you know what? You what you do is you get the executioner's capsule and you get an altered version of um, Dwayne the Rock Johnson put on it, and then you can be throwing rocks at people. Yeah. No, no. Can you okay, fine. Fuck all y'all then. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, don't laugh at my extensively corny cheesy joke. I get it. <laughs> I don't need your approval. <laughs> Who said we were giving it to you? Good. Keep. You, gotta, you gotta earn that shit like I do. That's all good. Clay, who you bringing this week? Uh, Tassiger the Golden Fang um, is my newest venture because the store that I go to while I'm back at school, which I'm actually back at school now, that's why I wasn't here last week, um, apparently now has signups on Fridays to run French Commander FNM. Nice. However, last week it was me and one other person that signed up, so we didn't actually fire. But I built Tassiger because all I want to do is cast Upheaval, <laughs> which is banned in our format. Because all it says is return all permanents to their owner's hands. So with Tassiger, you just like float a black, you cast it, and then you delve him out when your opponent has nothing. So, a people isn't banned in French 1v1? No, no, it's not, because it's a really? wincon. Yeah. And um, they say he's a good person. Because Fastbond is now banned, Tassiger is the only remaining upheaval deck. Because Maelstrom Wanderer could only play it because Fastbond was also legal. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. And if you think about it from, like, a gameplay standpoint, like, upheaval could be banned in multiplayer because it could be, like, uh, the Jackal Hops kind of effect, where it goes yeah. off, but it, never, it doesn't actually win the game, and it just kind of ruins it. Yeah. Whereas, like, in 1v1, you upheaval. You're going to win. You only got the, you're going to win. <laughs> you only got the one player that you're going against, and he's completely out of it, so. I died to Sunder all the time. Correctly. <laughs> I don't, you right, don't need upheaval. Sunder's still legal in multiplayer, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've been known to run Sunder occasionally and get things thrown at me afterwards. <laughs> I mean, it's not that much different than playing Armageddon, I guess. Yeah, but I did blow up their lands. See? Yeah. That's how I'm like, you like, know... But okay, what? Blue. Oh, so that's where I mean, you're throwing Okay, <laughs> and, then, and then we get into a small debate over whether um, the Great Aurora is okay <laughs> if something like Sunder isn't, hmm. or Warp World. It's true. Wow. Hmm. They just talked about that on the stack this week. Really? That's an episode that I missed. But that's because I've been in the process of doing a lot of, like, behind-the-scenes editing. All right. So, Calvin, who do you have this week? Uh, if I'm going for a favorite commander of this week, my favorite commander for this week is going to be an old-time favorite of mine. It's going to be Crush the Blood Braided. Yeah. Uh, recently, <laughs> uh, as I was going through the premise of, like, uh, altering the Crush deck for the Dragon's build that we had before, that we were talking about, I uh, broke out the Crest of Blood Braided deck because as I was going through it, I was like looking for like other red, black decks and red, black, and green decks that I had, John decks, trying to find cards that I might want to include into it. Then I came across Crest and I was like, I haven't seen you in like almost at least three or four months. So I decided like just to pull the deck out to give it a couple like plays just to kind of get used to, to it. And I started thinking to myself, you know what? 
I'm pretty sure Prosh could easily just take the head of this deck, and I could just put Crush to the side without actually needing to build an entire deck. But then I had to, like, you know, stop myself because I was going to be sidetracked and not actually build a deck. So. <laughs> so you like Crush for his body? Yeah. I mean, you know, like, you can't argue with the, uh, with a 3-3 body. I mean, those are great. That, that's a great, uh, figure. It's almost <laughs> as good as 36-28-36. Oh, man. That, oh, that sounds so beefy. <laughs> That's a big creature. It has it has an additional toughness to it. <laughs> <laughs> Booty's a little small, though. All right, so let's go ahead and get to mine. Mine is Sidri Galvanic Genius. This is one that I've been t- messing around with for the past couple of weeks. I'm going to try and make it to EDH night next Tuesday at a store instead of just sitting behind the counter and doing trade-ins and stuff like that. I actually play Magic for once. Because I'm, try- <laughs> I'm trying to turn Sidri into this really dirty kind of combo engine type deck. Mm-hmm. And for that, I needed to make sure I had two cards, one of which I just got yesterday. I got Intruder Alarm. You know, the three-man three man enchantment that says creatures don't untap during their controls on tap phases, but whenever any creature comes into play, you untap all creatures. But yeah. then I also need to make sure I had Liquid Metal co- Coating, which is two-mana artifact tap, target permanent becomes an artifact in addition to its other types until end of turn. So with just the Liquid Metal Coating, Sidri can strip mine someone once per, t- once per turn. You know, oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, so there's that kind of controlling aspect, which, okay, makes it really easy to deal with Gaius Krails and Ball Coffers and Full Ash Strongholds and all that. But I specifically need it for this convoluted six-card combo I'm holding in my hands right now. <laughs> <laughs> where, That's where, what I love to hear. Where I go, okay, Sidious on the board, so is Liquid Metal Cody and Intruder Alarm. We have Master Transmuter out, Kodolfia Forge Master, which Master Transmuter is the four-mana artifact creature that says blue tap, Bounce an artifact to your hand, you can put, get to put one out, which is pretty much you're bouncing one thing over and over again. And then you have Kodolfia Forge Master, which is a 3-5 artifact creature that says tap, sack few artifacts, search your library for any artifact card, and put it on the battlefield, then shuffle your library. And then something like Mer Battlesphere, just to bring it all together. <laughs> so I can get, go ahead, use, use Calico Metal Coding to turn one of my islands into an artifact. Wait, no, I don't want to do that to one of my islands. <laughs> Fuck! Uh, what? <laughs> here we go. We'll, we'll just swap that. We'll just swap the uh, the liquid meta coating for Unbendertine. There we go. So Unbendertine is a four mana artifact that costs two white blue and says tap to untap another target permanent. We use Sidri to animate the Unbendertine and turn it into a four four creature. So now we can go ahead and tap Master Transmuter with an island, and then we can use Unbendertine to untap the island. Master Transmuter is going to bounce the Battle Sphere or bring the Battle Sphere into the field to drop four Mer tokens. So we have five triggers for Intruder Alarm, so that Kadalia Forge Master can sack three Mer tokens, have one Mer trigger token left over. The Unbinder Time and the Master Transmuter are going to untap from the Intruder Alarm triggers, which means that I can go ahead and use the Unbinder Time to untap the Island again to use the Master Transmuter again to bring the the Battle Sphere back into play with four more tokens, which gets more ca- triggers, which means I can use the Forge Master again. Hopefully you have, hopefully you've been able to follow it and get to the, and follow the point that I can now get out every artifact in my deck. And then get blown out by like, Oster Command. Or something. <laughs> Shatterstorm, what? Oh, Shatterstorm. So that is the six card convoluted combo I'm hoping to pull off next week. And, and hopefully I'll be able to get like just more of those kinds of combos and engine type stuff into the deck. Like I've also thought about just turning her into like completely creatureless and then just relying completely on Sidri to turn artifacts into creatures to see how that would work. Hmm. So Sidri's definitely the 
my commander choice for Esper right now. I just need to figure out what I want to do with that deck, which yeah. hopefully includes more six to eight card combos. <laughs> you should just play Kirkesh. I could, but then Ib lose, gets kicked out to the cold. Like, come no, on. He doesn't. Yes, he you, does. Come on. Okay, Kirkesh is basically mono artifacts anyway, so you can't really call him a mono red deck. I call the only exception I've made to my one deck per color combination rule has been Sigarda, and I have like a, a, an episode of JTS coming out about that. I did the whole article series. <laughs> Although I might consider, depending on, I wanted to experiment with Alesha and try Ooh. the token build, and then if I really like the Alesha deck, I might kick Kalia up to exclusive god tier status of she gets to be an exception now too. <laughs> Maybe we'll see. I mean, I've already got like three Kalia decks already. <laughs> Alright, so, if you like what we do here at Commander Cast Prime, go ahead and check out our other fun content on CommanderCast.com. Here's what our weekly schedule looks like. Monday, you get Commander Cast Prime. Hey, you're listening to it right now. Unless you're getting us through MTG Cast, which is a fine and fantastic network, I suggest you check out their other shows too, like SquireCast, or Monday Night Magic, or The Mana Pool. But you know what? You can also get our latest episodes if you go directly to CommanderCast.com or subscribe to our RSS feed. Tuesday, Commander Cast exclusive podcast, Journey to Somewhere. That's my podcast where I go and do a small editor- social editorial for about 20-something minutes. And Deck Builder Spotlight, Mark's podcast where he interviews someone on our website or from the community and just talks to them about the ins and outs of the- their deck. Mark, do you know what your next episode is going to be? Uh, it's yes. Be I- interviewing Cassidy. What? <laughs> just, just throwing that out there, huh? Yeah, you know, like, I figured I'd like, you know, like, you know, put the, put feelers out for that one now that we've got them. <laughs> sure, man. I'd love to have them on. Yeah. I am actually, yeah. I, I am actually backed up with, uh, requests at the moment. So I've actually had to put some on, on hold. I'm recording two episodes tomorrow with a couple of listeners. So. Wow. Yeah, I'm doubling up, man. I still, is this bad? I'm still really amazed this podcast exists because I, like, it's predicated only on people like, emailing me and saying, hey, I'd like to talk about my deck, which I totally thought would have dried up by, like, at least four months ago. Mark, Mark <laughs> you <laughs> underestimate Magic Player's ability to talk about themselves. Yeah, I, I, I guess. guess. Mark, it won't I dry guess. up until I finally ask to be on it. <laughs> that's Wait, it? That's the you death? Got, You're the you nail gotten, in the coffin, Clay? <laughs> Clay? You haven't gotten Clay yet? How did we miss that? I didn't get Clay! I don't know! <laughs> Is it maybe, horrible maybe in a few weeks. Yeah, I don't know. Weeks. Yeah, I know the start of school is a pain for anybody, man. So let me know when you're when you're done. I, this is literally an open format. Like, just email me. We'll talk about decks. I love talking about decks. I just could have I could have sworn this thing would die in the vine by now. But uh, <laughs> thank thanks to all the awesome listeners out there. It totally has not. So you guys keep emailing me, and uh, I can't promise that. that that I can I can do it right away because like I said I've got kind of a backlog at the moment which is it, it, the even more surprising thing. It's but good, uh, it's a good problem to have. Yeah, it's, it is a good problem to have. So the nice part is that if you like deck builder spotlight, we've got some deck builder spotlights for at least another month or two. So, uh, yeah, so keep them so coming, guys. A, so you definitely have at least two to four. Um, yeah, I've got two, like I said, I've got two scheduled for tomorrow, and then, like, just two interviews I gotta do tomorrow, and then I have a couple more that, uh, I'm just trying to find some time for. So I have at least two more that I'm just trying to nail down a time that's convenient for a couple people. So, yeah, I've got, I've got stuff in the queue, man. It's coming. Wednesday is our strategy segment article with Eric, aka Grandpa Gross segments, and he continues to come up with some great stuff. At some point, we, we'll have to talk about, like, the whole, dig through time analysis thing. Because at, at first I thought it was super complicated, but then it, it got super simple for me. So we'll talk about that at some point. Actually, maybe that would be good for next week. Yeah. 
Thursday. Focus, we- Will. Focus. I am focusing. I was teasing, Calvin. Teasing. It's what we do in the radio business. We tease the next episode. We gather interest for it. Thursday. We're going to tease an episode that we're probably not even going to get around to doing. <laughs> we're doing it next week. Three football articles on Thursday. Right now, we have Hayes <laughs> Hayes' Let's Kill series featuring Prosh. Sometimes we'll have, you know, just random guest community articles. And, hey, you know what? Every other week, you get to deal with Rivals Duel. That's the other Eric, the, the Canadian comedian, and Noel Clausen. They host their podcast, and I can easily tell you, it's at the very least the second most popular podcast on our website. Friday, technology segment. Sometimes by Aaron, sometimes we'll have, you know, special guest articles. I see one here by John. Mark, do you want to go ahead and talk about John's submission? No, I'll take that as a no. <laughs> okay. Mark, are you muted? Damn it, I muted again. <laughs> oh, I always do that. <laughs> Sorry. Uh. <laughs> One of these days, I will realize that I have not muted my goddamn mic. Apparently, it will not be today, though. <laughs> nope. I totally went to a whole spiel, too, man. God, I, I pick up the throw. <laughs> Mike, anyway. out the window, on the lawn. <laughs> yeah. So, sorry, John, I totally screwed that one up. But, uh, yeah, we have a hidden, it's a guest article called Hidden Gems in our technology segment this week, um, by John. I don't want to read out your last name, man, because I didn't, I didn't hear back from you whether or not, you know, what you want your byline to read. I'm always kind of, I, I always like to ask before I start throwing people's last names out in the cast, so. I say we just give them temporary honorary titles. There we go. In the sense um, of old style wrestling. Ooh, sweet. Um, ooh, ooh, oh, hold, hold on, uh, let's see, uh, um, what, wait. Is, is it a horrible joke if I say, well, the Roddy Piper is up for sale because that one's free. Oh, my bad. <laughs> my uh. bad. <laughs> no, that was good. I like it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. right, we'll, we'll, we'll work on something here. We'll, we'll insert a wrestling name for him. <laughs> insert John wrestling name Cena. John Cena. <laughs> His name is John. It's true. Yeah. John the Wrestling Mon. Mm. No. John. The but I, nope. I mean. Wrestling name, wrestling name aside. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't want to say like John the Pocketmon because then I, f- I feel like that like John's the kind of name where Pokemon or something like that would have been rhymed to his name like forever. I don't want to relive any childhood trauma. John the Pocketmon sounds like like a Jamaican knockoff. Of yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I was thinking more porn star like... than anything else. <laughs> I mean, sure, yeah, we, we can go with porn star too. You know, that's probably hey, that's not a, a that can't be like that's probably not an unflattering comparison, right? So well, you're, you're probably okay. Val Venus did it in wrestling, so that'll work. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so I don't think Val Venus actually called himself the Pocket Monster, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Back 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 to our regularly scheduled program. Back to program. This is our regularly scheduled program. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, Mark. Go ahead. Uh, so anyway, John, after I totally butchered that intro, uh, John wrote, wrote an article about hidden gems. So some underplayed value cards uh, that, you know, maybe even if you've seen them before, maybe you don't play them as often. Um, in fact, one of them, I don't want to spoil too much, but one of them, uh, Nakata War Pride, is one that I've been kicking around my uh, my collection forever and ever. I have like three or four copies of this card. And I, I've just been, you know, ever since I, I read John's article, I'm like, man, I got to jam these in my decks more. And uh, I got to tell you, like, Nakata War Pride and Natural Affinity is is a fun thing to do. 
So, I'm just saying. I actually remember Andy talking about the Warpride at one point. Calvary yeah, he had on it. Like, I think that's probably why I ended up buying them. Um, and I just never got a chance to play them. Or, you know, even in the decks I had them in, they never, like, they, I just never drew them. So I started taking them out. Um, I should not have taken them out. So. No, you should not have. That was a bad decision. You know, <laughs> it definitely was a bad decision. Yeah, that card is amazing. Uh, but so I'm not going to spoil the rest. You guys can read it. And what will be, you have to go back, I guess, It'll because uh, this will come out, you know, on Monday. So go back a day or two and you'll find John's article. All right. And that about does it for our schedule-wise. You know, we just Wait spent... Wait a second. A- I'm pretty sure this is Friday, because this is coming up on Monday. Last Friday, we actually had something for the listeners that you might want to, like, let them know about. Go back, check. Oh, Aaron's article? Calvin, are you perhaps talking about our brand new addition to the Commander Cast Network? AKA, yeah, actually. AKA yeah. Squirecast! Joining us here on Commander Cast! That's right, every Friday you'll be able to hear Matt and the gang talk about, you know, not just Commander, but some other formats too, and just kind of go ahead and providing some really interesting questions, and oh boy, I see my connection kind of trying to refresh itself. Can everyone hear me alright? Alright, are we back? And we're back. Whew. Dodge so, internet assassination. Ninjas killed your internet? Ninjas killed the internet. That's so this is how Watsy gets you when you leak their spoil cards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we didn't you know that? This time, I never saw it. No, we didn't get anything yet. Yet. So that's been our Commander Cast schedule. Remember, Fridays, you can also catch the debut of our Squirecast brethren. Go ahead and join our Goblin Guide, Matt and his crew, every Friday, straight from the southern boards of Australia. Next up, we have our community segment, and we took last week off, so we missed a couple of things. Let's go ahead and catch up on just some general community news. Stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back. Uh, sure. From the Vault Angels is going to be, be there, which is actually, what's actually really cool is that, uh, John, the guy I work for over at Card Academy in Roundsburg, Ohio, which is a fantastic store and I implore people to check it out, even though we're not actually in the actual show segment yet, <laughs> is that he's saving all of his exclusive, to sell exclusively to like the regulars at the store. <laughs> and he's selling them at MSRP. Oh, nice. nice. So, in our community segment today, we're going to go ahead and catch up on some of the previous news, and god damn it, I just had it up. Hold on. I, uh, I just... The show notes are down. The show notes are down. William is out. So, everybody, <laughs> welcome to another edition of Commander Cast. Not quite. Actually, I just had Cassie's article where he broke down the From the Vault Angels. Oh, yeah. So, from, while we were gone, From the Vault Angels' full list finally came out. And we had some speculation stuff. Some of us are right. Like, there was the Avacyn and the Iona. I am severely disappointed at the lack of Gabriel Angel Fire. <laughs> like, I yeah. was, like, I was really hoping or that Selenia. we... Or Selenia. Or Selenia. Like, I, actually, there isn't even, like, an Angel Despair here. I'm trying to... No, yeah, like, that would have been sweet. It's mainly white, like, and a little bit of red, but the thing is mostly white cards. Yeah, Planet and, Angels and ta- yeah, Platinum Angel's in there. We'd call that one. Tario's the only one representing the Black Angels of any sort. Oh, yeah, Tari, yeah. Token Black Angel. Can, can I say... Uh, be right back. From the, vault, from the Vault Racist. <laughs> so, can I just say that I am not a fan of the Rebecca Gway Sarah Angel? Really? Like, like Sarah Angel would be an ideal target for Rebecca Gway's art, and I get that, that they brought back, like, this cool oversized card from, like, a comic book, and I kind of want to read that comic book now, I just need to find it. But, like, I just don't like that pose that she has the angel in. 
Like that seems like a standard Rebecca Gwai pose, though, or you know, mean, like crouching, like cuddled over something, like crouched over something, like windblown hair. Like that's a pretty standard Rebecca. That, that sounds like a Justin Art theme deck. If he, yeah. People crouched Ooh. over stuff. Ooh. Like Rebecca Crouch. Yeah. Maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, would it would have been nice to see the Sarah Angel in just kind of a more solid or charismatic pose, I guess. Like I love the Greg Staples art. In fact, the whole reason I started putting together the uh, foil popper Kalia deck was because I wanted to play with my foil Sarah Angel. I mean, Greg Staples art is key. I'm telling you, 7th edition Mark Zug art is my favorite, though. <laughs> Come on, man. She's got like a katana or something crazy. It's pretty sweet. It's, def- uh, it's definitely crazy. She's and got I'm- like Madonna boobs going on. It's weird, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm not surprised to see Lightning Angel in this set, though, but can we please get some... Get some new art for Lightning yeah. Angel. Like it looks so awkward with but, that old invasion. But they pose. But it looks so awkward with the new border. Like it just doesn't fit at all. But like, pose. It hurts my aesthetics. <laughs> pose. Man, I totally knew they're gonna reprint Lightning Angel because I'm like, where's the stinker gonna be? Like, where's the stinker? Lightning Angel. I knew yeah, at least it. Lightning Angel's playable. And I mean, yeah, she is. You know, whatever. It's and like I say, stinker. She's just she's just not exciting. You know, like a three four with some abilities in America colors. Eh. Well, she was printed in the dual decks last year too. Like, that was the thing that was a bummer. Yeah. You, you still play her over Mantis Rider in Modern because of Lightning Bolt. Yeah, Lightning Angel got time shifted. I didn't know that until I looked at the, actually read Cassidy's article. Um, like one of the only times that I've watched people stream MTGO, I forget who it was, but he was doing like a fuck yeah America stream on the Fourth of July, where he was playing a modern Lightning Angel deck. Oh, please tell me it was Kenji. I don't think so. I forget who it was, but it was really funny. He was he was like wearing an American flag, um, um, baseball hat. And oh man, that sounds so much like Kenji though. Oh, well. It was great. Okay, can I just say that with art, I have two pet peeves. What? One, where the art is... This is all primarily based on just creatures. Like, one, the art is super focused in. So it's like so like the, the Thalia promo and My All the Enema. I, I don't really like the Thalia promo. Yeah, you know, where the art is just like, whoa, way in on, it, the, on their mugshot. It, it, it seems too animu for me. Well, it, that's not the problem. My problem is that you know, it's so focused in on the character that you can't really see that whole character. Like, yeah. that's that's art that they would use for, like, spells and stuff. Yeah, like, I have the same problem with Jorkadine. Yeah, Jorkadine has that problem, too. He, he just has, like, a flaming half of his face. Yeah. The other one that bugs me is when, like, the, char- the, the creature character in focus is, like, way out. Because that also looks like kind of just a normal spell or enchantment to me. And Iridescent mm-hmm. Angel has that problem. Mm-hmm. Like, don't get me yeah. wrong. That is a fucking beautiful piece of art. I would love to have that on my desktop if Randall Thor wasn't there right now. But because the angels only take up like a fourth of the card art panel, it's kind of hard to just see focus on her. It seems more like an Aurelius Fury than an Iridescent Angel. Yeah. Like, if the art has been more focused on just her, that would have been fucking beautiful. Like, I would try to be playing... Like, I wouldn't actually play it for the not power level that's there, but I would play it for the art. On an audio podcast, we talk about art. Yes. <laughs> yes, we do. Because it pertains to our interests. So, what about you guys? Is there anything in here that's particularly exciting for you? Are you looking to try and get a copy? Nope. I'm No... Uh, what is it? Uh, I'm sorry, Heather. No problems to you. I'm not saying any particular issues with you. I don't want to start anything, but as far as I'm concerned, fucking angel. Uh, like the vast majority of these creatures, the ones that I want, I've already got. 
The ones that I don't want, I probably already have because it comes in shit that I didn't want them in, and I just kind of got stuck with them. <laughs> isn't uh, isn't like a uh, Bassandra in here too? Uh, no, thank no. God. Aurelia is. Aurelia is. Thank God. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, we definitely dodged the stinker with that one. I could have sworn Bassandra was going to make it in there. I, if they had had new art for Entreat or Platinum Angel or Abyssin, I would be tempted, but they don't. So, speaking of the new art, though, all right, not all the art is really good. Like, for instance, I didn't know, I don't know when Exalted Angel joined the KKK, but I'm not down with that hood. Yeah, that. That's very like, Avacyn, though, you know. I mean, yeah, it is. I just don't... It's it's sort of weird, to be honest. Like, I don't... Uh, like, I can't remember a hooded angel at any other time. And, like, putting a hood uh, on doesn't say exalted to me. Yeah, let's see. What was it? Just, Twilight Shepherd? Yeah, she's got half a face, though. Like, she's just got, like... I mean, she's got a hoodie, not, like, a straight-up hood. <laughs> like, I don't know. Twilight Twilight Shepherd is... I, I dig that card, but still. I do like the new art. I don't know. It, it shows how fucking huge she is. Alright, so like, uh, so there's Platinum Angel, there's, uh, what was it, Avacyn? What's, what other angels are in this? I mean, is there any other legends in here that are of worth noting as far as our format's concerned? Aurelia, yeah, I mean, bro. I mean, yeah. Aurelia? Okay, yeah. so there's Aurelia, and there's Avacyn. That's it? As far as like legendary ones, right? Uh, I Terriel. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that green, the red, black, white one. Yeah. yeah. Terrible, <laughs> terrible the angel. Yeah. <laughs> terrible, exactly, that's her name. And, uh, so outside of those three, those are like, those are the three that specifically are like commanders that can be used in our particular format. Is, is there any like non-creature angels in this thing? Like, is it just all creatures or is this like... No, they got Entreat the Angels. Yeah, it has Entreat. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there's, so there's Entreat the Angels in there too? Okay. Cause like it's one of those things, like I took a quick glance over it and I was like, hmm. Not interested in any of these. I mean, I just kept moving it on. Like, my brain just kind of erased it from existence until William brought it up a few moments ago. So, in all honesty, so it's like, in all honesty, like, my, I'm sitting there looking like, I know that there's probably cards in there that I do play. I don't think there's any really, there's really any cards in there that I'm interested in having. Yeah. So, let's see. What, like, uh, so what would be like the big money card in this particular thing? Cause normally they have something in these things that's like, Something from Boulder Street Kingdoms or something that's like a preview for an upcoming set. There's usually like a card in these that are of some type of value that people actually want or need. Is there anything particular in here you guys can like tell me about real quick? Oh, the double acromas too, sorry. Double acroma and then as far as like straight value, just Avacyn and Iona, really. Iona's kind of cheap now because of uh, her Modern Masters reprinting. Yeah. But uh, because of the Modern Masters reprint, if they had just used the From the Vault art for Modern Masters and then put Linvala in the From the Vault, Word. that would have been sweet. Yeah, would have been expensive so, From the Vault though. Probably true. Right. Yeah. So like, <laughs> so what's like, so on, so like, as far as like the singles of these, like, which one's like the most expensive one? Like, what's the dollar range currently for it? Uh, uh, Avacyn's the highest, highest dollar value by far. Uh, I think next after that is like Iona, and I forget exactly what else was in there, but uh, they're all about ten dollars after that. So like, what's Abyssin coming in at like as far as like price range currently? She's like forty, I think. Or I can't remember exactly, but she's a, she's pretty expensive. Okay. So <laughs> like, so like the biggest money ticket card in here is the Abyssin. Then after that, the vast majority of them are like around ten dollars each. Yeah, and like uh, from the vaults have a tendency to run. What is it like? Uh, 
What's the MSRP like? Fifty dollars or something like that? It's, it's uh thirty-five for this one. MSRP uh, is yeah, but uh, MSRP I mean like thirty-five, and they usually sell like fifty, sixty or more, depending on what's in them. Fifty is what I did my pre-orders at. So hmm. all right, so that's about it for Fun of All Angels. Was there any that we didn't hit on? Just kind of to mention that they were in there, like Archangel Stripes in there, Janara is in there. <laughs> I do like Janara actually because uh. Although she wasn't in a limited release like Terriel or anything, she's actually pretty hard to come by as far as I as far as I've experienced. I haven't actually ever owned a Janara. And I've owned most cards at this point. So like <laughs> so like seeing Janara in there is like, oh cool. Well, I guess there'll be a lot more on the market, so I'll, I'll finally get one, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that is a sweet card. I mean, especially for Commander. Like mm-hmm. I've been wrecked by a bunch of nasty Janara decks. So Yeah. Yeah, the right thing about Janara is that you don't have to build around her. Like, the Bant deck I used to have was just kind of a general blink value kind of Bant deck, and then Janara's just kind of sitting over here as an alternative win con. Yeah. yeah. Like, I guess I'll just make her 7-7, seven, because seven, I have nothing <laughs> better to do. Welcome to the three-hit club. Yeah, exactly. And then welcome to the two-hit club. Yeah. I like the Bant Slayers in here, though. Bant Slayer is sweet. So pretty. All right, then. So, other news that we have, we did get some spoilers from Battle of Zendikar with the Dual Decks, but we're going to hold off on those until we actually get to our Battle for Zendikar spoiler preview episode, because that's how we roll. We condense everything down into a single, squeezed, tight episode. <laughs> and we, then we just shove it down your throat. Um, phrasing? When did phrasing stop being a thing? It's consensual, though. It's consensual. <laughs> oh, okay, then never mind, then. All right. So, the other thing to mention is the Vancouver Mulligan rule. A.K.A. the Free Scry, and oh my god, the world has fallen because now every Legacy player just sets up their Delver. So Vancouver, uh. yeah, so Vancouver Mulligan Rule. That's the one that you, you've been uh, hearing about lately with, hey, after you've Mulligan, if you decide to go, go down a card, if it's a hand worth keeping, you keep it, and then you get the Scry one. So that's going to be a thing now. And the thing I want to go ahead and throw out to you guys is, do you think this actually just translates to Commander? Like, we only ha- have Partial Paris, depending on where you play, which... I believe it's the predominating mulligan rule for most commander games. Where you go ahead, you exile card space down, you draw that many, and you try and get your hand going. But sometimes, I've had games where that's not enough. Like, I've had games where I've just thrown seven down, draw a new seven. Still no lands? Jesus Christ. Throw down seven, draw six. No lands? Well, how, how? How do I go through essentially three or four hands and not get a single land? I mean, at that point, we're already saying, go, just go ahead and shuffle, draw, do seven, but, but what do you guys think? Cassie? Um, it's actually interesting, because uh, I do play a lot of the one-on-one EDH, so, like, since you, like, are looking at, um, like, you're looking more at, like, objectively at the games and, like, what's happening in your games to make your deck better, and you definitely notice that Commander is uh, top on the mana, like, like you were talking about three hands without land, like, that happens a lot, and, like, uh, in multiplayer games, it's frustrating, but in one-on-one games, you can see exactly how it plays out even more. Um, but with that said, I, I don't know if I really like the, the spry rule in general. It seems kind of, uh, gimmicky and like handholding. I don't really, I don't really get it. Like just build good. You know, that's kind of my attitude still, but I, uh, I don't, I don't really think it's necessary in commander, let alone regular magic. So I, I don't really agree with that. Go ahead. Um, well, the, the reason that they've implemented it, um, is, because they want the game to be more about the skill of the player and not the luck of the draw, which is completely understandable. But they still want the the randomness of the deck to play a big part. And I know, like, a lot of the pros that I follow on Twitter that were at the Pro Tour where it was tested and helped came up with it um, 
have been saying that it's going to be incredibly good for the game. However, if I can find this one tweet... Okay, um, a shout-out to one of the guys I follow on Twitter is um, David Schreiner at MDaveCS. Um, says, and hashtag EDH players everywhere shrugged. We already infinite multiplayable hands. <laughs> that's that's basically how it goes. Um, like, in any group that I've ever played with for EDH, it's basically, as long as you're not being an asshole and blatantly mulliganing to combo pieces, we don't really care how much you throw back. Um, there was one time where someone mulled back, like, nine cards and then had a start um, because apparently the last card that he drew was a Solbring, and he had, like, five other lands in his hand. Um, he got a lot of nasty looks. But other than that, like, I would I would be interested to see if um, the Dual Commander community picks up the Scry part, or maybe, like, increases it to maybe, like, a Scry 2 or 3, just because of the sheer size of the decks and the singleton nature. But traditional EDH doesn't really need that because we already try and make sure we have playable hands. And I would have to, like, mirror that because we already have our own, like, side mulligan way we deal with our particular thing, and we're also a casual format. So it's also one one of those things where, like, even if this was, quote-unquote, implemented into the rules, most EDH groups could easily just completely ignore it and just continue going about their merry way. And some of them don't even go by what the current conventional, like, mulligan is. We all just kind of like, you know, if our playgroup, this is how we do our mulligans, this is how we do things because we trust people here. Or this is our group where, you know, I don't trust anybody at this table. We play by this set of rules, period. And I don't care what it is, you're showing it. So, like, doing, giving the additional scry on top, I mean, it might be nice to play a few games with it to see if it helps make the games more interesting for the few people that do end up getting kind of mana screwed or creature flooded or whatever the case may be, but I don't really see it being something that actually directly affects us. I mean, this is something that's mostly going to help help out in draft more, it's going to help out standard, probably help out in modern, and then get slowly more busted as you go up in formats. Because, you know, that's when you start getting into, like, cards like Delver that require, that could easily be used for that. And I would say, like, this ruling could easily be, like, one of the few things that could potentially get Delver just banned in other formats. <laughs> I, I don't, that like, so. yes. I don't, I'm not, I'm not saying it is, but, like, if Delver does end up getting banned, I'm going to say it's probably due mostly because of this rule change. Well, the thing is, like, yes, if you are running a Delver deck and you mulligan, it allows you to maybe set up your Delver, but no one is going to give up a perfect seven to go down to six to be able to guarantee flip their Delver. Yeah, but what like, I'm saying is, is that if I have an opening hand that has, like, uh, Island, Brainstorm, and a couple other, like, good cards, I already know I can set my Delver up without needing to do the Scry, fine, fuck it, I don't need it. Like, you know, like, just drop my land, play my thing, set it up, and go. But if I have an opening hand where it's like, oh, like, I didn't get the stuff that I needed and I have to mulligan, then, yeah, like, go ahead. I'm Like, I'm more willing to go for it because I know I'm going to have a extra chance to try to go for it, even if I didn't have it. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying, like, it's going to be the thing that breaks Delver, but it's one of those, like, if this ends up becoming the thing that pushes Delver over the edge just enough to the point where they're like, you know what, we like this rule, we can't have this card around with this rule in this format. Then, yeah, then I could see that being the thing. Because Wizards is more than willing to ban a card to save something that they want, as opposed to, like, completely reorganize the structure over a single card. Yeah, but I don't think they would have implemented this sort of rule without extensively testing it with a card like Delver in mind. 
Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's going to ban Delver. I'm not saying Delver is going to be banned. Don't, don't take that as what I'm going at. I'm just saying that if Delver, because like before, Delver was like a really popular deck. It's a very powerful card. It's understandable in the format that it's played in. It's good. There's no arguments there. Now, with this new rule implemented, you know, Wizards does their playtesting, but we all know that Wizards has uh, limited scope and view of what they can and cannot perceive. And once something like this gets out into the world long enough, the magic community has tendencies to take rulings like these and find ways to bend them over backwards and break their knees in ways that Wizards wasn't expecting. <laughs> Just look at Skullclamp. <laughs> and then at, the, at a certain point, they're like, we did not expect that to happen, and we're in order to keep the ruling that we want, we're taking away this card, because this is not what we wanted this rule to lead to. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but I'm just saying, like, if cards in the quote-unquote Delver category that could benefit from this end up getting a lot more play because they break the format in one way or another, I wouldn't be surprised to see a small list of cards similar to Delver or whatever just randomly getting the heave-ho out of older formats just to kind of balance them back down. I think Mark had something to say. Sorry if we drowned you out. No, it's Sorry totally fine. <laughs> I, was, I was just, get, the only thing I have to say about the, the scry thing is like, I think it's going to feed into like players' tendency to just look at the top card of their deck. Does anyone have like, a, like, man, I have buddies of mine who can't stop that shit. Like if I held a gun to their head, they can just be like, I just need to see. I just need to see. Oh, yeah. oh! You know, like, like, buddy, just let it go. Let it, just I, leave it alone. It's fine. I played modern FNM last Friday for the first time in a while. And like round three, I played against someone who was definitely like a kitchen table player. They weren't playing like a standard tiered deck or anything, and, like, every time he would mulligan, he would look at the top, like, three cards of his deck to see if it would have been any better. <laughs> it's just like, you shouldn't do that. That's just masochism at that point. <laughs> but but, we, but can we all be in agreement that it is going to be an interesting for the first month or so when people are getting the, the scribe part incorrect in the yeah. spot that it's supposed to actually do it? Oh, <laughs> yeah. like, oh, everyone's yeah. going to feel like, everyone's going to be like, hmm, I'm going to mull. Let me take a quick peek real quick. And then, like, the guy across the table was like, Judge? I mean, the thing is, like, once you have stated that you are going to mulligan, you have to mulligan. Like, yeah, no, but like, (laughs) the thing here is that the the just to for clarification, the scry happens after you've already decided to mulligan. You take the hand, you decide to keep that hand, then you get the scry. Is that how this? It's after you've decided to keep a hand. Then you right, get so, like, so, so, so if I keep my opening hand of seven, I don't get the scribe because I'm keeping my actual whole hand. Yes. And then if, if I you... decide to mulligan, I go to six and I get that six cards and I'm like, you know what? I'll keep this. And then, then you scribe. get the scry one. However, oh, really? if you say, you can't say I'm going to scry one and then decide if I want to go to five. Oh. And you have to say I'm, I'm, I'm keeping this. And that's this what I'm six. saying is going to be the thing. Because there's going to there's gonna be people that's going to like, you know what? I'm going to mulligan. They're going to pick their six, then they're going to scry one. Yeah. And they're not going to like it and they're going to want to mulligan it. But well, they're not going to be able to because they've already scribed, which signals to the other player that they're keeping their hand. True. And so the, once they go to shuffle that hand back in, that other player across the table is going to call judge. I, I expect there to be so for the first a lot of stuff. a lot of warnings given out for this for the first little while, but it won't be anything like completely game breaking or anything like that. It'll just be really annoying for people to deal with. Mm-hmm. And for the first couple months, like at the beginning of every event, whoever's running it will have to remind people how it works. But other than that... But other than that... So, that's been the mulligan rule. I think we've gone ahead and done that enough. So, other than that, I can't think of any other major news topics off the top of my head. Can you? 
uh, let's see, we talked about the From the Vaults Angels. From the Vaults, we talked about the new, Then the done the new Mulligan thing. We talked about uh, Battle for Zendikar as much as we're going to, because we're saving most of that for when we actually go through that re- in our Battle for Zendikar preview or review or whatever that is that we'll be doing. Mm-hmm. So, hmm, anything else new? Nope, nope, no new announcements for the Commander thing yet. I mean, we did get announcements that it is coming, so we do know that's a thing. Um, but. yeah. I can't think of a home version to do this week. Can you? Hmm? Uh, we- what, I'm, I'm not even a pro- I was not even thinking about doing a home version due to the simple fact that I've spent most of the week editing Squirecast. <laughs> yep. There we go. Home version. You listen to Squirecast. Not even a question. So let's go ahead and go on to our strategy segment. What? So our main focus <laughs> home today. Home version, more like homework. Yeah. So homework this week. Listen to Squirecast. Come back. Tell us what you think. I'm really looking forward to hearing you guys just go crazy for Australia. Because let's face it, if you don't get crazy for Australia, you'll go crazy in Australia. Okay. What? Makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense, right? Like every, <laughs> literally everything's trying to kill you. Hmm. Okay, so our main focus today, we're going to talk about the aggro rush strategy. Stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back. So, Cass, since it's been a while since we've actually got a chance to talk on the phones and stuff like that, how do you feel about Kevin Steen being in WWE? Uh, you know, who? I haven't... Uh, <laughs> who, what's his name now? I don't even know. I, uh, Owens. I don't, okay, Kevin, Kevin Owens. Owens yeah. I, uh, I haven't actually been watching a lot of wrestling lately, unfortunately. Aww. Yeah, that's uh. Now I'm depressed. Get off my show. Well, you <laughs> know, CM, CM Punk quit, and I like lost. I lost like ninety percent of the reason I would watch uh, the WWE. So yeah, sorry. <laughs> Man, that's okay. We all had that one asshole we watch in NASCAR, hoping he crashes. Well, yeah, wouldn't that be you on your drive work episode? So on community today. <laughs> talk about, you know, just kind of an aggro rush strategy, whether you're using tokens or small guys or just anything. The idea is to hit hard, fast, but to be lean with it. And Cassidy, I know you recently wrote an article concerning aggro decks. Do you want to go ahead and talk about those real quick? Oh, um, yeah, actually, I got an email from my uh, my friend in uh, in France who uh, actually is in the French community playing the, the games and stuff. His name's Asimov. He's pretty, uh, he's pretty vocal on one of oh, the yeah. I know yeah. him. Yeah, Asimov. Yeah, he's cool. Uh, yeah. So we've been writing back and forth for a while. I, I really like his French English. It's pretty awesome. Um, and he uh, he just sent me a couple of decks. He he sent me a, a Zergo uh, Bell Bell Striker, right? Ball Ball Striker. Yeah. Ball Striker. Ball Ringer. Uh, I forget if I've seen him play that deck on Cockatrice before. Um, I think this one, the one he showed me first, was <laughs> actually um, what's the word? Uh. Zergo Ball Striker on Cockatrice. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> um, he sent me the list that actually took uh, top eight in the last uh, Grand Demon tournament in France. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the Zergo list. It was 180 people, so top eight out of 180 is not nothing pretty, compared to normal Magic, but you know, pretty sweet. Yeah, and um, he also sent me his list for Anafenza and then for Kythian. Uh, oh yeah, I've seen that one. I definitely yeah. have. Uh, the um the Anafenza list is uh is is pretty standard. Like I get I get my butt kicked by Anafenza pretty much every week. And then um the Kythian deck is cool. It's it's very uh it's very aggro deck, but uh it, instead of using like Isamaru and uh Noble God, I can't remember the two one for one uh soldier dude, you know, like Savannah line basically. Um Lee they use, 
Yeah, Lee Vanguard, thank you. Like, instead of using that stuff, which is what I was expecting, he, uh, he plays, like, White Knight and, like, uh, um, like, uh, what was the, the, uh, Knight of Honor, I want to say, the one with, uh, with... Knight of Glory? The Knight of Glory, yeah, that's Exalted, right? That's what they have? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, it has a lot of cool, he had a lot of cool stuff like that in the deck, um, but, yeah, besides that, like, those are all, like, uh, like, uh, one-on-one EDH decks, so, like, if we're talking about multiplayer, like, I think aggro is a pretty different, uh, different beast in uh yeah. in multiplayer you know so but yeah that's yeah. okay so let's go ahead and look into that then so what are the primary differences when you're talking about super a- super lean aggro in multiplayer versus one-on-one like <laughs> alesha is a good card to bring up about this like well one-on-one she can do some really stupid things like she brings out the the pony back brigade and a bunch of token stuff but when we had tom on and he was talking about his attempts at the alesha deck you know it's really hard to get her through because she's so small. Well, the the difference between um, one-on-one and multiplayer for aggro is the difference between taking someone from 30 to 1 and taking three co- three people collectively from 120 to 0. Like, it's the same sort of problem that uh, mill decks face in multiplayer is that there's just so much more you have to do compared to what you would have to do if you were just facing one person. And that's really why aggro struggles in multiplayer formats. And I think the thing, too, is that you have to spread the damage around and deal with, like, decks that... I mean, like, you just can't kill three people fast enough with aggression to stop them from uh, being able to start looping, like, the infinite six-drop, uh, like, Wrath of Gods, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, and then multiplayer decks, I think, are more built towards kind of the Wrath of God type of strategy. Yeah. Uh, you know, it just in general, you're dealing with a lot of creatures. So, like... The big, the big thing is, is that like you, you just can't deal enough damage, and you have to anger multiple, multiple players. Whereas in like one on one, it's not necessarily, uh, or rather in one on one, like you're only dealing with one opponent. Uh, they are more set up to deal with aggro in a sense, but they also. But there's no are, politics involved. Right, and there's less, there's less of a danger. Um, or aggro is more dangerous, I would say too. So yeah. Like you actually have to like metagame against aggro in, in like a dual format, whereas like. Like, aggression is almost laughable in multiplayer, and usually you're dealing with, like, more Voltron problems and yeah. stuff like that, like swords. Like, it's, and that's not an aggro deck, that's like equipping a sword to just whatever creature, and it doesn't matter. Sword of Feast yeah. is good no matter what, so, you know. <laughs> True. Cause... And basically, like, in a multiplayer format, like, a aggro deck, it's the best way for an aggro deck to, like, thrive is to kind of pretend like it's a 1v1 kind of um, format where you're targeting a particular player and going after him and hoping that the other two players kind of duke it out and weaken each other. So this way, when you're done with him, instead of having to go through the full life totals, you really only have, like, one other player you kind of have to deal with. Yeah. Like, you know, you're still sending damage both their directions, too, to kind of keep from, like, um, I'm just, let's just say bullying the guy, kicking the one guy who is down on land. But, yeah. you know, it, you're kind of like going like, okay, you're the guy with the defense that I can take out. These other two guys I can't really deal with because they're kind of already going at each other. So you're kind of doing what you can to still attack everyone, but not everyone. Yeah. Unless, of course, you've got like some type of weird combo where you can just like just churn out like plenty of plenty of tokens or hella damage and then just everyone gets it. That's actually the thing I think for multiplayer is like, 
aggro decks really aren't aggro. Really what you have to do is decide to be like a combo deck that wins with creatures. Almost no like yeah. um like if you make a million tokens and like cast the Crusader Overrun and stuff, like yeah, I guess you could call that aggro, but I feel like aggro is more of like the tempo game, more of the like match more of like the like to take away the early game because you have a bigger creature or something whereas uh like that the closest thing i have to an aggro deck for multiplayer is my gisela deck and like that deck is about double striking and like dealing exponential damage and like i wouldn't consider that as typical you know aggro deck that you would ca- talk about in like uh 60 by 4 formats but at the same time like like it's aggressive i attack with it i don't win with like perforous token combo type things you know so like uh it's I think aggro just is a different, has a different connotation altogether and how you build and how you present it in multiplayer, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was it? Um, yeah, when we did the, uh, deck breakdown before, what was it? I think it was when we did the mono red deck for goblins, uh, with the, I uh, think from grandpa. We were talking about like creatures that go into a, like, aggro based deck. And we determined that like the average, av- the average aggro based deck in EDH would be considered closer to like a mid range deck in other formats. Because, like, the creatures you're playing are bigger than what the typical, like, one drop would be for, like, I don't know, like, standard or modern. Because you have to remember, like, these creatures have to live past more damage being dealt than more different effects and other stuff. So your creatures are a little bit more on a beefier side. And if they're not bigger, then they're playing cards, like I said, like, just, just turn out cards in, like, mass numbers, like your captains of the watch or things of that nature it's like yeah you're getting your one card but technically it's like four cards in one because it's her plus these other guys plus they're getting a bonus from her and that's not including anything else you already had on the table that might give things like uh double strike or glories or whatever the case may be you know yeah did so, william die no i was just listening patiently <laughs> for my chance to speak so that people don't actually interrupt me as people are off to do All let's right. go <laughs> <laughs> <You did it. laughs> So let's talk card card advantage. With aggro decks, you want to... The typical words of wisdom is go ahead, spill your hand out, and then kill people as fast as possible. Because like Clay alluded to, we have a lot of ground to cover, and we have to do it really fast if we want to be effective. You know, small decks, you know, like the Isamaru Voltron deck, which I guess is now the Kidian Voltron deck. You know, a lot of those... (laughs) a, A lot of those decks can be effective because they do go fast enough that they hit under the belt, so to speak. Like, while you're still playing Cultivate, they're swinging seven points of damage at you. That's still almost a quarter of your life. And I don't care if you have to go through 120. I only have 40 to start with. So if I'm getting hit for seven, that's still kind of alarm to my head. But the one downside to pl- to just dropping your hand is that you just dropped your whole hand. So we need to talk about filling that stuff up. So what's kind of the best idea to get some good card advantage here? If you're not playing aggro with colors like, well, essentially just red and white, because one, if we're playing green with our aggro strategy, then we have ways to draw cards. We have stuff like collective, uh, what was it? Sham- Shamanic Revelation, I want to say? <laughs> that just came out. It was the, uh, you draw a card for each creature that I think you gain life. So, something. Yeah, the one that's just strictly better than Collective Unconscious. Yeah, and you can play that with Collective Unconscious, too, so you have two of them. Also. I know, because I play them in my Freya Lisa Elf deck. If you're playing black, you're drawing cards. If you're playing blue, you're drawing cards. So, <laughs> let's say we're not relying on three-fifths of the color pie. How are you getting card advantage here? Well... So, like, wait, which, which, right, for clarification, which colors are we talking about? Oro, bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, off the top of my head, 
There are a couple equipment that you can use to generate card advantage <laughs> while you are hitting people. Um, the most iconic one is Skull Clamp, which oh, doesn't really doesn't it doesn't really help you kill people if your dudes only have one toughness. Like if you're playing Hiri with the one ones that she makes, but it gives plus one minus one, and when it dies, you draw two cards. So if they block, you'll probably draw some cards instead of getting damage through, or you just push extra damage through. Um, Another one, I know it's one of Hayes' favorites, Mask of Memory, I believe. Um, whenever equipped creature hits a player, you draw two cards, then discard a card. So you get to draw a card and loot whenever you hit a dude. Like, it doesn't provide any power or toughness bonuses, but that's still worth playing just for that. I really like uh, Mentor of the Meek. Oh, yeah, that guy, too. Yeah, that guy's a house. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of stuff in Red and White that can pull off, like, you know, bug-style draws. But, um, like, Mentor of the Meek at least makes you feel like you're doing some work. Like, oh, I played these tokens that can't possibly get through your defenses, but I drew a card. Cool, yay. <laughs> <laughs> but the good thing for Mentor of the Meek, though, is that because his ability can be triggered multiple times, so even if you're, like, casting a, a, a card that puts in, like, multiple creatures at a time, as long as you've got the mana for it, you can still be able to draw more cards. So, like, what was it? Uh... Damn it. What, what's the damn card? Instant speed puts two um, tokens into play. Oh, yeah. Uh, raise the alarm? alarm yeah. Uh, raise the alarm? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, well, like, even if you're like, you know, you have four mana, you cast raise the alarm. So, and he's out in the field, you basically spend four mana, instant speed, put two dudes into play, drew two cards. So that's perfectly acceptable. Especially, like, when your opponents aren't really expecting it, because you can just, like, kind of throw it out there. You have two instant blockers, draw two cards. And you basically put down one card, got a chance to block two things, and drew two cards. So you're kind of up on that deal, depending on how things shake out. And if not, you still have two bodies that sit on the field that can also be used for the equipment that Clay was talking about. So we can always just, like, later on, clamp it with skull, clamp their skulls in, draw some more cards off of them tokens. So there's plenty of ways to get into it as long as you're willing to make some sacrifices in certain spots. And those sacrifices have a tendency to be one one soldier tokens. True. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another way to like generate like card advantage in this particular concept is like you know like I was saying earlier like cards that gen- cards that have extra effects that can give you more stuff with the more things you do. Like a uh, young pyromancer, like you know you cast a red spell and boom you get a one one body. So it's like all your spells now have this thing where you get a creature as you're getting a one one elemental as well. Or, like, if you're playing blue and you have, like, a towel red, like, yeah, you're casting spells, you're getting some drakes and things of that nature. So it's like, as long as you have other, like, creatures or effects that have, like, these permanent engines to keep churning out creature tokens for you that can be used for aggression or used for blocking if needed. Like, well, most of the Planeswalker that make tokens, like Elspeth, are good in these spots because they can just churn out, like, bodies for you and they don't get wrath. So even if a rap hits the board, you're fine because you still have this thing on your side of the field that's going to throw down a few more bodies for you. And if you're playing with the equipment strategy, those one ones can easily become bigger and more threatening, no matter what the raft situation looks like. Yeah, and you know what? There's actually another kind of card advantage we could talk about too in white and red, like uh, like this new the new uh, equipment sort of the animus, like you know just just like get, you know getting getting lands into play is is a form of card advantage in some ways, and like. I like Weather Wayfarer was another thing I was thinking about. Uh land tax. Those are mostly white stuff. White has more of the, the search for a plane spells than red does, but I think it's pretty important just to both thin out the deck and 
just to make sure, like, I mean, you're playing an aggro deck, so, like, not having enough mana is just double savage on you, you know? Like, oh, I'm only at two mana, I can't cast three mods, this is pretty much the worst aggro situation ever. So, uh, I really like the new sword, uh, just for a lot of reasons, but I think in, in aggro cheap decks like this, where, like, you want to draw into creatures and, like, gas, like, getting rid of your lands is really sweet, and then also ramping at the same time, like, and plus one plus one is not completely uh, you know, ignorable, especially if we're talking about aggro, so. Yeah. So, Cassidy brought up an idea that kind of interested me a little bit. He, in his Gisela deck, you play a lot of, like, damage doubles and double striking fibs. What about virtual card advantage? Things where you're not really getting, like, just pure physical card va- values out of cards, like maybe like a land tax would, but things where it's like, Okay, with this card, it's pulling X, the weight, the same kind of weight that it would take X amount of cards to make. Or with this card up on the defense, I'm negating X amount of your cards. Hmm. Would that be like the kind of category where we would put something like Sun Titan? No, cause Sun, Titan because is, like, Sun Titan is more hard card advantage. Like it's bringing you back physical amounts of yeah. cards. Yeah. Um. This, uh, is, this, uh, you this mean, is like. Uh, you like oh, you mean just like a card with like an overall effect, like uh, like a world effect or something like that. Or like card advantage would be something like Assemble the Legion, or where like, it's producing stuff every turn for an investment. No, that's still physical card advantage. I'm talking about but, more. But it makes tokens, so it's not raw card advantage. Well, what about like Hate Bears? Maybe like are we talking? Like <laughs> I'm a... talking about more like the uh, like uh, Mirror and Crusader, the pro black pro green guy he blanks a lot of your opponent's blockers if those if they're relying on those colors it blanks removal spells stuff like that mm-hmm. okay so like what about like a mere or a rather uh even mind sensor is that more of what yeah you- mind sensor is another good one okay so now we're playing death in texas yeah, well, hate bears are pretty important in white. I mean, like, true. It's actually all their best creatures, anyways. You know, like, like ah, Thalia is good. I think I'll I'll keep her. And uh, uh, what's the containment priest? Like, those are all really good cards. Like, almost as control pieces too. But the fact that they're all cheap to cast and aggro and can wear a sword, like, I think that yeah, I agree with you, William. Like, the hate bears thing is really really important in white. Whereas yeah. I think in red, you're looking more for like uh like uh something that gives a bonus to another guy. Um, like a battle cry effect, maybe, or like uh, haste. Oh, just bad road driver. Yeah, yeah, the battle driver, or like the what's the the hero of Oxford Ridge is real, real good. Like that's more of like a like an army buff, I guess. Like that's kind of a yeah. form of card advantage. Though. Like uh oh, uh, Argus cost. There we go. That's what we're talking about, right? Yeah, Argus cost. Bump the team. Actually, Cassie, you're really good on the the, uh, the death and taxes too, because that deck in Legacy gets mistaken for a white weenie rush type deck too. Exactly. Yep. So what do you get? Uh, I, I, the last thing I wanted to go ahead, ahead and point out, you know, just for me off the top of my head, is the overrun effects. You know, like your trumpet blast, your war flare things. Like these are things that I, these are reasons why I actually want to build the Alesha deck because, hey, I want to go ahead and try out, you know, the sweet instant kind of overrun type effects like uh, dictative Heliod too. You know, where it's like, okay, swing some guys at you, and then suddenly it's a bunch of damage out of nowhere. What about these overrun type effects? Can yeah, we... but like in but in white, like the overrun like effects have a tendency to be like they're more like creature effects as opposed to like overrun. Like overrun is like yeah, we pump your team like really huge and then give them trample. But like in white, the effects have a tendency to be like you're all yeah, your guys get like plus one plus zero, oh, but they also get double strike or first strike or some that something like that. And or like the or white has a tendency to like. What is it? Like, they just basically show the players what they're planning on doing ahead of time because they have a tendency to have, like, Anthem effects, like, 
I'm going to play this, I'm going to play this, and now next thing you know, I have my Sphere of Heliod, all my creatures are getting this, and you kind of see a lot of white things coming. And the combat tricks in white have a tendency to not really be... They're more like single creature on, on the offense. They're like, you know, like they have a tendency. They're like, God, oh, this one particular creature is going to get this effect. The whole team ain't getting it, but you know he's going to win combat. Unless you're playing some type of weird like fog variant that White might have. And like, and often, often, and not like overrun like effects are mostly like in green, and you have a tendency to have something similar to them like fall into red, where your creatures just get like a huge pump, but they don't really get to trample or something of that nature. Well, I'm well. One of my favorite cards in as far as, like, forcing things through isn't actually an overrun effect, but if you're in white, like, playing a white weenie strategy, um, something as simple as Brave the Elements can make your entire team unblockable. Um, this might fall more under technology, but I was about to say Giselle Goldmane as far as overrun effects, and then I realized he doesn't give trample, so let's just give the team protection from your color so we can kill you. Yeah, but you see, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's like white's thing. It's like, yeah, they'll give the entire team an effect, so like all your guys can get through, but you're not getting the pump. Or if you're getting a pump, you're getting it, but you're not getting the trample. Mm -hmm. Or if White does give your guys like some type of thing that's giving them a minor bump somewhere else just to help them in the combat, but they're not going to get the chance to kill you or kill your opponent. They're going to get a chance to like just take care of his creatures unexpectedly, you know? Mm -hmm. Whereas, like, with an overrun effect, you know, normally when I look at an overrun effect, it's like, yeah, instantly, like, I'm going to play this, and the math for the board is completely screwed, plus you've lost a ton of life. Whereas with white, if you're losing a ton of life, it's because white just happened to have a tendency to have just tons and tons of creatures on the board, or their biggest creature became unblockable, or you had played, like, a Gideon, and somehow all of your opponent's creatures are tapped because they came after Gideon, you've lost Gideon, but now your guys can get through. So now you can feel perfectly fine casting your Dictative Heliod or whatever pump spell you want. But white doesn't get the overrun, quote-unquote, effect as well as green or red does. Because red has things like, you know, red gets like, oh, yeah, all you guys get plus two, plus oh, but then you have to, like, sacrifice them at the end of turn, and then they get haste in this. And green gets like, no, your dudes just get fucking massive, and they get to just step on your opponent's face as they're going over there because, you know, how are you going to stop a 4-4 four four from, like, accidentally tripping on its toes and killing a 1-1 one one and hitting you for 3? <laughs> Does White have any cards that give uh, all your dudes flying? Kind of like a blue mite? I can't... Uh, I don't think so. Yeah. I can't really uh, think of anything. Not like, in cause... blue. Or not outside of blue, I don't think. Okay. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, yeah, because, like, with White, it's like, yeah, they'll give all your guys protection. Or White will give all of your guys, like I said, like, you get, like, a... What's his name? The um, not ang the, the white version of anger, the one that goes in the graveyard. He gives all you guys first strike as long oh, as you glory. Strike. Yeah, glory. You get like glory uh, in the graveyard. Oh, valor. Sorry, valor's yeah, first yeah, strike. You get, yeah, you, yeah, you get valor in the graveyard, and it's like yeah, now all your guys are getting these effects and stuff like that. But it's like white doesn't have a tendency to give people flying permanently. It is, like white is like the color where jump comes in a lot. You're, you're, yeah, you do get flying, but it's only because you met this condition, or it's only temporary because we're doing this for the moment because you happen to have the right amount of artifacts. So, yeah, he's going to start flying now. <laughs> but, like, White doesn't just be like, oh, yeah, here, play this, everybody to the air, and go. I feel kind of bad talking down on White like this. 
Can we move on? <laughs> All right. So let's go ahead and look at the other colors then. Guys, is there really anything as far as aggro for blue? Like, green sounds – it's kind of – like, if you can play a nice aggressive strategy if you want to go elf ball. Like, that's a very easy way to do it. You can also just go kind of go really wide with other tokens too, like – I used to, when I used to play casual 60s, I played a green-white sapling token deck that just used Kamala, just overran everything. So that's fine there. <laughs> but one, does blue kind of have, does blue have a strategy for it? And two, is suicide black still possibly a thing? Uh, <laughs> suicide right. black is always a thing. <laughs> hatred suicide. is, hatred is very, very good in, in EDH, so. I mean, stick a hatred on your general, and there you don't have nearly as stick much. Stick a light. hatred on a Hydra Omnivore. Yeah, yeah. hatred on anything really. <laughs> uh, I think uh, blue has um, Talran. That's like as close as they really need to get to um, to aggro. I don't really think. I mean, blue blue is not the most aggressive color. Most of the creatures are uh, more more mana for less punch, and like yeah, they fly and stuff. But you know, give them a sword. I yeah. guess that's the way to do it. <laughs> uh, but like, but well, granted, yeah, but but blue can, if you do build it correctly, could be considered aggressively. But you'd be leaning on blue pulling into an area where white was already better at doing the things that blue is currently doing. Because mm-hmm. there's certain things that blue can do. Like recently, like uh, they they fl- they printed a bunch of like blue creatures that have the ability to just generate tokens. Like what was that last guy that um came out? I'm trying to think what was his name. It was like yes. a blue. Master Waves? Creature. Is that Master of Waves? No, not Are Master it? of Waves. Well, yeah, Master of Waves does make tokens too, but no, there's oh. a creature where it's like it gets big, it gets counters on it, and when Reaper. it dies, you get that. Oh, no, no, uh, Chasm Stoker. Yeah, that guy's Chasm yeah, Stoker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, because Blue has like Chasm Stoker. It has that, uh, new, like, that reef, that sea creature thing that when it dies, it gives you a token that gives you a token that then gives you a token. Uh, Reform. Yeah, yeah, you have Reefworm, Chasm Stoker, they've got uh, Talrad. If you really, really were just trying to play, like, aggressively, you could try to go for, like, Illusions, because you could, like, get all the big guys and best cards from the other colors for for low blue mana cost, but problem is, the moment they anyone looks at them wrong, they explode. So, unless you can give all your guys, like, Hexproof or something like that so that they don't get looked at incorrectly, you could start playing aggressively with that. Uh, what's other? Blue has soldiers. We discussed that before when we were talking about like building the mono blue deck for me. All right, so, so we, right, so we have horses, fishes. Oh my, what else do we have? Horse, fish, uh, coral, <laughs> octopi, octopuses. I'm not no, really no, sure. no. The octopuses lend themselves more to a ramp strategy. <laughs> oh yeah. Or, or a Splatoon-based theme deck. Yeah, yeah but then you're just sniping everything. I and might then you actually get, do that, though. And then you get ink everywhere, and it's super messy to clean up. Yeah, I get to play uh, Quicksilver Amulet, or Quicksilver then, Fountain. And then you have to explain the socks to your parents. Gross. But, uh, yeah, but, like, if you're playing, like, a mono-blue strategy or something like that, then, yeah, you could go for a token kind of thing, or you could try to go with, like, a way to get bodies on the field. But, like we've discussed, like, typically blue doesn't do that that well. Blue's more manipulative, and it can take control of things. So if you're playing aggressive with blue, my suggestion would probably be to have, like, Talrat as the commander, a deck full of a couple of spells, a few aggressive token things that can be made, but then your aggro, quote-unquote, strategy is taking other people's things and smacking them with it. Yep, just play Talrat and then smack people with all your wet ducks. Yep, basically. Yeah, drink some mallards. 
Yep, uh, throw a, a, a pike, or what's that one pike? Rune Chanter's pike on Rune there. Rune Chanter's pike. You're good, yep. Super duck. So strong. <laughs> uh, but not man or stucky. Okay, and Suicide Black. Did we have, did we finish on that one? Sorry, I had to, I got distracted by something. Uh, mostly you talk about hatred, mostly. Yeah. So, but, like, no, I, I remember Eric Bonvi once talked about his Lezolda deck, and he loved Lezolda, but he took her apart when Oloru became a thing. And it had, like, mm-hmm. a bunch of super aggressive one-drops, like, cat, like, Rakdos Cackler. See, the thing for, like, uh, Suicide Black, Suicide Black I could see easily being a thing because we have, um, effects like Exalted now. Mm-hmm. And in a group mm-hmm. game, you have to remember, like, those kind of effects, like, yeah, granted, you're, like, churning out turns of life total. Like, you're, you're basically eating away your own life total to get, like, these extremely underpriced big guys for the, for their cost. So you can be suicidal with your creatures in mono black, but because you're also playing in group, anything that you do that ciphers from opponents can easily gain back any life loss that you've got from these guys, like, threefold. Because typically it's like, oh, yeah, this guy, I'm going to play this card, and it's going to take two life off of me every turn, but that's okay because I've got this extort trigger, and every time I play this thing, I've got three opponents. Yeah, I'm losing two life from him, but if I play another guy, I'm gaining three, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, I was going to say the closest thing I have to Suicide Black deck is is the uh, um, Shadowborn Apostle deck. But that's, <laughs> that's less suicide and more like sacrifice now that I think about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Actually, now that you've said that, yeah, you can easily do that in Mono Black, too. Mono Black can get aggressive. You can play uh, the Relentless Rats. You can play the Shadowborn Apostle with the Big Demon as a finisher. If you get enough, like, if you get some, like, uh, the artifact pump effects in there, you can go ahead and do some of that to kind of get things going. You don't even need tokens. You're just throwing up, like, hundred, like, a ton of copies of the same card. So, yeah, I could easily see, like, a Suicide Black thing going on there. Or, or, it's like an aggro black with that. Splash that with your Suicide Black deck and you're good. If anyone wants to play Suicide Black, because I've killed myself multiple times with this card, Carnival Souls is hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Hey man, you get a lot of mana off that. Alright, so then on that note, let's go ahead and wrap this up here with some final thoughts. Uh, Guys, go ahead and sum up your thoughts on just playing aggro in general. We'll go ahead and start with Calvin. Uh, Playing aggro in general? Just do it. It's fun. Uh, especially if your meta happens to be slow, as I constantly tell people, if you're in a slow meta, an um, aggro deck can easily come out of the woodworks and help and get you to win a few decent games and potentially pick your meta speed up. People will change their deck around once they realize that they can't make it to the turns they were expecting. All right, so the Shia LaBeouf approach. I love it. Clay, go ahead. <laughs> um, I say it's something incredibly underappreciated in our format, but it takes a lot of skill and correct threat assessment to do it correctly. Um, because some metas just run way too many board wipes for it to be viable. But like Calvin said, if people you play with aren't expecting it, you can just rip people apart. Go ahead, Mark. I think you need to you need to pick your target wisely and then pick your time. I think like Cassidy said, um it's probably the, the that's probably the, the best concise advice for this. Like you have to kind of play it like a combo deck almost, in that you have to you have to pick when you're gonna go off. You can't just like flood permanence on the board because of what Clay said. Like there's just so many board wipes around, you're never gonna make it. Like if you if you come out of the gate looking like you're the the most um you know threatening thing on the table, like you're gonna get smashed in the face. But if you can kind of like pick a moment and then I don't know play around your cards, like maybe just don't throw a doubling season out there and then pretend like it's gonna be okay. You know, 
um, or like throw all the token guys out there and then just pretend like you're going to make it come around. Like you need to have some kind of haste ability on there or you need to have some kind of like pseudo haste where you're instant throwing instants out to speed your guys up or maybe throwing them out on another turn and then attacking. Something like that. All right, Cassie? Um, I would say that if we're talking multiplayer, like aggro, aggro needs some way to win, like with their overrun, like Cathar's Crusade, just something that's like obscenely powerful to bridge the gap. Um, because like, uh, blue has cyclonic rift and no matter how much fun you have building your boards, it only takes one spell to ruin your day, tokens especially. So I really think that like you can build aggro all you want, but have some way to win. Um, in one turn or two quick turns or just something that makes it so that your opponents, uh, will lose all of a sudden. Like that, I think that's really important for aggro. Yeah. The ev deck definitely loves those kinds of cards. Mm-hmm. All right. And that does it for our strategy segment. Next up, we're going to go into technology. It's welcome to assault tech university people. We're going to go ahead and give you some tools to help your aggro deck. Stay tuned everyone. We'll be right back. Yay! And speaking of that, I am going to grab my Ib deck real quick. So while you're thinking, so while he's doing that, uh, that gives me a chance to actually grab my phone and run downstairs and see what I can think of. Because, in all honesty, I com- I came completely unprepared for this segment. No kidding. <laughs> Here at Assault Tech University, we give you the firearms and the preparation and the know-how to know how to know how to do the thing that ends the thing that points the thing I don't know. But we can help what? you to know. Well said. <laughs> Man, that fell apart spectacularly, Will. I aim to entertain. And of course, I also aim to punch people in the face. And with these things, so can you. Because the only thing that, that's better than having sharp pointy weapons is less homeless people around. So Dolman Gate is going to be the first thing that we start with. Dolman Gate, it's kind of like the God of Lift here. You know, Aroas. With the whole, you know, you attack, they don't take damage, my card image searcher wasn't working. So Dolman Gate... Uh, so Dolman creatures Gate, you can... Right. Creatures you... Prevent all damage that would be dealt to attacking creatures you control. Yeah. It's like, what, two colorless? Oh, I yeah. Think it is? It's a two-drop two drop artifact. Prevent all super cheap damage artifact. that would be dealt to attacking creatures you control. Like, yeah, it's super cheap artifact, so it's super easy to drop it off on a low curve. You could even get it back with Sun Titan. You could even get it on turn one with the Soul Ring. Yeah! What? And then you just go, Haste Guy, swing. Haste Guy, swing. Haste Guy, swing. Yep. Alternatively, take three to the face. <laughs> Okay, so let's go ahead and keep going. Mark. Sweet. All right. Uh, so my first card is probably one of my favorite cards ever, and I don't understand why more people don't play this thing. It's called Champion of Lambhole. Champion Ugh. of Lambhole is... <laughs> really good? Ugh. I, I play <laughs> all the time. I can't, I can't interpret, the, I can't interpret the, the groan, Clay, as it, disgusting. It, the, or... the, that card has killed me so many times. It's okay. so obnoxious. <laughs> Love this card. Anyway, uh, so Champion Lambhold is a three drop. It's one and two green. Human Warrior. That's uh, a one one. No one cares about any of that. Except for creatures with power less than Champion of Lambhold's power can't block creatures you control. Pretty sweet. And then whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one plus one counter on Champion of Lambhold. Man, so people in my play group know that Champion of Lambhold, like, 
now they've been abused by it so many times. Like the minute I lay it down, I can't play this card anymore. Like it just, it just gets killed, exiled, removed. Like I've, I can count the number of games in the last six months. This thing has made it back around to my turn. Like it's, <laughs> it's just nasty. Like I encourage you play more. You will abuse your friends with it. It is such a good card. Like I've had people forget that it's out there. Even though I play it like, I play it exclusively in my top tier decks that want the evasion and the super beats, like my Yasova deck. Mm-hmm. And, you know, cause it's just power less. Like you can use other things to pump her up, like anti yeah. effects and, and like titanic growth and, and all that. Like, oh, how do you like this? The fact that I now have a 5-5 that you can't block just out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. a card that can wombo with it actually. Um, that I don't think is on anyone's list here. Um, Calvin, if I'm stealing this from you, I'm sorry. But, uh... You're probably not. Uh, Wild Beastmaster? Nope. Mm. Uh, oh, I play those two when, together in the Fraley's deck. Yeah, um, it's, what, a 1-1 one, one for a little bit of mana. And whenever she attacks, other creatures you control get plus X plus X until end of turn where X is her power. So she can pump your champion and force more damage through. She pumps the rest of your team. And if you just, like, stick a Rancor on her, that's a sizable boost. Oh, I, th- those, those girls are just best friends. Oh, yeah. Like, they go out shopping, and they hang out, and they talk about the problems they have. And it's just like, it's, it's one what of- problems? Alright, getting exiled or destroyed. But, other than that. Yeah. Like, it's, it's probably the best Lash figure I've ever written. <laughs> Although, I do have to say that realizing at the Avazim Story pre-release that Champion Vlanhold with the Arcwing Dragon was really fun. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. All right. So, moving on. Calvin, what do you have for us? Okay. So, the first thing I'm going to be talking about is a combo that if you're a long-time listener to the stuff that I've put out and produced or whatever the case may be, you've noticed. If you're a newer listener, and it's been a while since I've discussed this, so... There is a card we talked about earlier that we kind of glanced past. It was Nakata Warpride. And the combo that I'm talking about is Nakata Warpride combined with Reese the Redeemed. Now, Nakata Warpride's converted mana cost is six, correct? Uh, and, I believe so. Yep, it's three, it's three colorless triple green. And Nakata Warpride reads, Nakata Warpride must be blocked by exactly one creature if able. When Nakata Warpride attacks, you put X tokens into play tapped and attacking that are copies of Nakata Warpride, where X is equal to the number of creatures defending player controls. Remove the tokens from the at the end of uh, from the game at the end of turn. And it's a three three. Because I didn't mention I, it. The the fact that this card exists is hilarious because it means that any of your other creatures will get through because all of your opponent's creatures have to block the Warprides. Yep. And the, one of them will get through. Yep. But the but what I'm saying here though is is that the combo is you combine it with Reese the Redeem's ability to create um token copies. Uh copies oh, yeah. of tokens that's on the field. That's really now, cute. Here, now here's how it works. You play Nakata War you play the Reese the Redeemed, you have him ready to tap and use his effect. You cast a Nakata War Pride. When you attack with it, you let's say your opponent has six creatures, your Nakata War Pride puts in six three three tokens or whatever the case may be. They block, creatures get through, creatures happen, damage happens, whatever the case may be, right? So, yes. while the damage, while they're being blocked, you activate Reese Deem's ability to tap and make copies of all the tokens. Now, the tokens brought in by the original Nakata War Pride disappear. But all of the tokens that he's created, all the copies of himself that he's put out, that Reese put in, are separate copies. They didn't attack, and they are not affected by the remove at the end of the game effect. 
So they stay around. The other tokens disappear. And now you have six copies of Nakata War Pride on the field ready to go next turn. It's pretty good. Oh man. Yep. <laughs> my, <laughs> yep. my my favorite combo that I still have yet to pull off, but I like this is the thing I dream of. This is like achievement unlock. If I ever get to play kind of War Pride and Natural Affinity, Natural Affinity being the, the three drop instant that makes all of target players lands into two two creatures. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's really sweet. Oh man! Uh, you can also you can also just play the uh, the, the Empress, where it's uh, I think it's pay three, discard two cards. Oh, oh Jorel! Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah turn all your yeah. guys into what was it? Three threes? Yeah. Oh yeah, all three of those or cards. Of ours. Oh, also true. Yeah. Um, or anything that's uh, or let's see, um, what's the green echoing card? Like creatures with the same name get plus two plus two or something like that. Oh, echoing courage. Yeah, target creature and all other creatures with the same name get plus two, plus two until end of turn. Oh, so it's just like, these are all Nakatl War Prides. Now they're all five fives. <laughs> Kitties! And if you combine, like, now that I'm thinking about it, it's been a while since I've had a chance to update this deck. The last time I touched it, I think, was when I was doing it. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. The last time I actually touched this green-white deck was when we were talking about Return to Ravnica and it had, like, the Convoke and the uh, other things in it. So uh, this deck has yet to uh, got a, um, get a copy of Bo and Nylea in it, which would give all the Nakata War Prize Death Touch as well. That's pretty good too. It's <laughs> a nice board wipe you have there. And then if then you just have like a reconnaissance or a maze of it, and you make sure the real one survives. Long story short, play Nakata War Pride, people. It's hilarious. All right, so Clay, you got next bid. Okay, um, my first card is a card that I've been singing the praises of for a very, very long time. Um, Mirror Entity is a changeling from good old Lorwyn. Uh, let's see, let's just bring up the Gatherer page. It's a 1-1 one, one for 2 and a white. It's a shapeshifter, it's a changeling, so it's all creature types at all times. And it has an activated ability that just says X. Until end of turn, creatures you control have base power and toughness XX and gain all creature types. So the the way this card works is, let's say it's late game, and by late game I mean maybe like turn six. You have a bunch of dudes, you have this mirror entity. You attack the dude with no blockers, and you're just like, okay, I tap seven mana, all my dudes are seven sevens, you're dead. <laughs> it's yet another sort of overrun-like effect in like white weenie decks. I play it in my Lin Civi Rebel deck, which I've actually been meaning to put up on Tapped Out recently. I might do that and put it in the show notes. Um, because Lin Civi finds Rebels, and because of Changeling, Mirror Entity is in fact a Rebel. So you can just go end of turn, Lin Civi for three, find Mirror Entity, attack for 5,000. Um, and it also stacks with any sort of Anthem effects that you have. It's also and really plus, good. It also stacks with plus one, plus one counters. So if oh, you yeah. had, like, uh, what was it, a Jiding Gold main, that's the one that gives all you guys, like, plus one. Uh, everyone in your team gets a plus one, plus one counter or something like that. Yeah. Um, it's also really good with uh, tribal pump effects. Like, if you have Cover of Night or Obelisk of Erd or Coat of Arms, because it gives all of your creatures all creature types. So with Coat of Arms, it says creatures you control get plus one, plus one for each other creature on the battlefield. Unless, for some reason, there's a creature without a creature type. But that's a completely different story. Uh, what was it? Isn't that the, what was it, Nameless one? That uncard? The one, the oh, creature yeah. that has no name? Um, there, there is one that isn't an uncard. It's called, like, Nameless Race. Ooh. That doesn't have a creature type. And then, like, animated lands sometimes don't have creature types. But, still. Still. And it's funny that you say that, considering what we can talk about in about a month's time. <laughs> 
All right. So, Cassidy. Yes, sir. What do you have for us? All right. So, the first card, uh, card I chose uh, is probably everyone's favorite god, mine. Uh, it's Perforos, God of the Forge. I like uh, Perforos because he kind of, like, he deals a lot of damage for you when you're playing a lot of small, crappy creatures. And, like, <laughs> those creatures don't even have to necessarily get through, right? So, like, you play uh, Pierre and Kieran, or you play uh, Siege Gang Commander, whatever. Like, if those tokens can't get through because of, like, superior forces or they're going to die right away or whatever, at least Perforos still deals two damage to each opponent. Yeah. And, I, and like, dealing it to each opponent is really important for a multiplayer game because uh, we were talking about how you needed to, de- to deal uh, basically 120 damage. Well, with Perforos, you actually only need to deal 40 damage, uh, you know, total, 20 times, whatever, however you want to do the math. Um, the other cool thing about Perforos is that he has the... Uh, Basically, like a mini overrun effect uh, for two colorless and a red, I believe. Uh, he gives all your creatures plus one, plus one until end of turn, which, uh, again, is another thing that we're looking for when you have a bunch of small creatures. We've kind of already talked about how the overrun can really help a lot. So, like, I really kind of view Perforos as, like, this all-around really good aggro creature. Uh, even if he doesn't end up being animated for whatever reason, he's still really good as a non-creature. Yeah. yeah. And if you combine Perforos with the um, the gate that we talked about earlier, now you can swing with all your creatures, use Perforos to pump everybody up as big as you want. They're not taking any combat damage, so as long as the gate is around. So as long as no one, like, grips your gate instant speed or whatever, you can still get a chance to deal with tons of damage, and they have to, like, put up with it. Mm-hmm. Have to, or just straight eat it, depending on how they're feeling. I, I also <laughs> have a Russian Perforos, and, like, that just makes me laugh. Like, nice. No Comrade <laughs> Perforos. Oh, <laughs> it was. It's even the you have the uh, the hammer parts. Yeah, exactly. You know, every time it just it makes me feel very communist. That's good time. <laughs> okay, let's go. Let's go. Now, ahead. now I want one. <laughs> <laughs> so my next card is going to be one of my absolute favorites, Chandra Pyromaster. Oh my god, I love this version of Chandra. For two red red, you get a Chandra that comes into play with four loyalty counters. She has plus one. Chandra deals one damage to target player and a damage to up to one target creature that player controls. They can't block this turn. She has a zero ability that says exile top card of your library. You can you can play this turn if you want to. You don't have to. You can just leave it in exile. But you can if you want to. And then her limit break, which I might have used once in a cube draft, is neg seven, exile the top ten cards of your library. Choose an instant or sorcery card, exile this way, and copy it three times. You may cast the copies without paying their mana cost. This is just like the quintessential Chandra to me. Like, I, when I was up in GB Cleveland, I was playing the Ib deck, and Chandra got in so much w- work because people would, you know, get their big blocker up. And, that, and I'd be like, okay, that's the one big blocker that I can't deal with. Oh, hey, Chandra's here. Hey, buddy, can you take care of that for me? And she'd be like, cool, bro, I got your back. And that one <laughs> thing would just be, like, gone. Like, there was a Shiri deck at the table, too. And once you know, that deck is full of X1s. So Chandra just goes plink, 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 plink. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I had Chandra at 10 loyalty at, at one point. And I was like, I don't really feel the need to burn her limit break right now. Like, I just want to keep plunking and plinking stuff. And then the fact that you get the, that she's a red card that draws you cards. Like, I have yeah. a hard, Like, with my Aurelia deck, I make it a hard point that I have, like, four, five cards that cost six mana. And Giselle's the only one that costs more than that. So once I hit a certain land cat, I know that she is drawing me an exact card just every turn. <laughs> like, I can't sing this Chandra's praises enough. This is easily the best Chandra they've printed. All right. So anyone... Uh, so no comments on Chandra, then? It's pretty good. All right. Uh, I do she, like the Firebrand, too, though. Firebrand is all right. Yeah. But as far as late-game fuel goes, Chandra Pyromaster is 
second only to Outpost Siege. Ah! <laughs> Funny you mentioned that. Because Outpost Siege was going to be my second one. Like, I just put Outpost Siege into most of my red decks that don't draw cards yeah, with other like, colors. Outpost Siege is either Chandra's zero ability every turn, or it's like a mini Perforos when, when your dudes die. So it is really good for the red aggressive decks. So good. <laughs> Alright, so, Calvin, what's your next card? Uh, what was it? Question, what was that mechanic from Conspiracy, the one that let everybody vote? Just Will of the Council? Will of the Council? Okay, I'm I'm invoking Will of the Council. I have three cards here, numbered one, two, and three. Two. Two. But, oh, two? Two. Will? All right, so two it is. Your vote doesn't matter, William. Wait, what? So, number two <laughs> out of the three cards that I had is True Conviction. Yeah. Three colorless, double white is an enchantment. Creatures you control have double strike and lifelink. Now, the good thing about playing aggressively the bad, one of the downsides about being uh, the aggro player is you have a tendency to be open a lot and you lose a lot of your damp life points. And what ends up happening a lot of to games is because you have such you're only going you're basically going 40 against 120. And if you're playing too aggressively, the other table the rest of the table can easily take you out. And you have a tendency to play smaller guys and things. So a card like True Conviction has a tendency to be a better card for aggressive style decks because even your one ones turn into two ones that gain you some life. So even if they do happen to die, like, yeah, they might have died, might have taken something with them. But on the bright side, at least you got some life out of it to kind of buffer in any extra damage you've taken before. And depending on how big you pump them up to be or what other anthem effects you have out or whatever the case may be. If you like, like, say, what, for instance, like with that, uh, Narcado War Pride I talked about earlier, True Conviction turns all those three threes into six, basically into six three life linkers that <laughs> deal three points of damage first. So, yeah, so you can easily, like, you know, gain yourself a shit ton of life, bounce back from that. And yeah. if not, you know, and if you combine it with the Domary Gate, the, the, with the Domary Gate we were talking about earlier, your creatures gate. won't die, your Domain Gate from earlier, your creatures won't die in combat, so now your two ones can just keep going in and gaining life, regardless of the fact that they'll be blocked or not. Domain Gate! It's the controversy everyone's talking about. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys want to know what uh, cards number one and three were? What? Sure. One was Ant Queen, and three was Hero of Bladehold. Yeah, not bad. So, Clay, what's your next card? Um, as someone that over the summer has played with and against Burn a lot, um, one thing I've realized is that Pyroclasm-type effects are actually very, very good in the format, especially when there are a bunch of, like, mana dorks running around. So my next card is an interesting one called Mark of Asylum which just costs one and a white. It's an enchantment. Prevent all non-combat damage that would be dealt to creatures you control. So any sort of damage-based board wipe, anything that try, like your Chandra, um, yes, it'll make it so they can't be blocked. They can't block, but you won't kill my X-1s with her because she won't actually be dealing any damage. Um, along this same line is uh, Vigor, who is an enormous 6-6 trampler for... What's it, three and triple green? Or is it four and double green? No, it's three and triple green. Okay. Um, that prevent all damage that would be dealt to other creatures you control, and they get a plus one, plus one counter for each one damage prevented this way. So you can swing in with your stuff that you know will die because they'll just get bigger. The That card has been an absolute beating, especially if you can follow it up with a Blasphemous Act, because then you just ex- you just explode your opponent's boards. And then your dudes are 13 counters bigger. All right, then. So, Mark, 
So my next card is actually kind of a series of cards, but they all kind of do the same thing. I'm just going to call it out with uh, the first one on the list, Gold Knight Commander. So Gold Knight Commander is a three colorless and a white for a 2-2 human cleric soldier. But the cool thing that he does, and which the enchantment I'm going to talk about afterwards does, actually the two enchantments do, is that whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, creatures you control get plus one, plus one till end of turn. Um, I like this guy because he sits on the, the battlefield and he doesn't really do much until you fart out some tokens. And then he knows that each of the tokens get the, the plus one, plus one for each of the other creatures. So, like, it quickly outstrips my ability to do simple math, but it is a lot of fun. <laughs> um, and then Mantle of Leadership is a little bit different, a little bit trickier, and the bump is a little bit better. So Mantle of Leadership is one in a white for an enchantment aura, but has flash, and it does basically the same thing, but whenever a creature comes into play, enchanted creature gets plus two, plus two, until end of turn. So, I like, I put both of these usually in, in decks when I want to go either wide, or if I want to go tall, depending on what strategy it is. You know, sometimes you can get some evasion on a guy, and maybe mantle leadership's like a cherry on top when I pop out some other tokens, or maybe you just want to go wide and get around some blockers with Gold Knight Commander or Valor of Akros, which is the other kind of enchantment version of him. <laughs> Funny you brought those guys up, because I was going to talk about uh, Cathar's Crusade, which is basically like the more permanent version of Gold Knight Commander. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Cathar's Crusade is also strictly better, Cassidy. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, in any way possible. It's just that my playgroup has gotten, like, like I don't know the, I don't know about you, but, like, the groans that come out when Cathar's Crusade hits the table, like, and that yeah. that damn card doesn't even sit around anymore. It's it's almost as bad as Champion of Lamphole for me. People are just like, oh, immediately kill it! Like, it's a fucking giant spider or something. Okay. Okay. The the problem I have with Cathar's Crusade is not with Cathar's Crusade itself, but the fact that the decks that play it use so many tokens and so many dice to keep track of it. Yeah. It's just obnoxious. <laughs> that's why yeah, when you said it was it was math intensive, the Gold Knight Commander, it's just like that's why I stopped playing Cathar's Crusade because after a while <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't even tell what was happening anymore. Like I think I, you're dead. Is can oh, we just agree you're dead? <laughs> yeah. So like, uh, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> it's not something I want to repeat in my life. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Cassie, what's your next pick? Okay, so definitely not going to do Cathar's Crusade anymore. Uh, so let's just move on to, uh, to, like, one of my favorite cards of all time, uh, Bludgeon Brawl. Um, so what I basically use Bludgeon uh, Brawl for is uh, in the Gisela deck I was talking about with double striking and uh, attacks and uh, double damage, all that stuff. Like, Bludgeon Brawl is basically a fun thing to do with uh, with the Mana Rocks, like um, Soul Ring, Grim Monolith, uh, Grand Dynamo. They all can basically tap to equip themselves to a creature uh, with Bludgeon Brawl. And then it also gives you, like, extra uh, extra mileage out of your rocks. Um, in, in this deck, you know, I'm talking about Gisela, so Gisela is, like, a, a pretty expensive creature, and that's one of the reasons I have her, uh, have it in that deck, or all the rocks in that deck. So, like, it ends up being, like, really a uh, lot of synergies and stuff, but just in general, um, Blood and Ball is a fun card. Uh, and there's always people trying to talk about equipping Jace after making him a, uh, um, whatchamacallit, a, uh, uh, creature? A, a, not, a, well, no, not a creature. A, a, an a artifact? Not, yeah, an artifact, but a non-creature, non-equipment artifact. Uh, and then you, you know, you equip him. Calvin always used to talk about that shit. You mean actually playing blue red artifacts so you can equip your Jace to your Jason so you can beat people with Jace over the head? Exactly. Thank you. Those are the words I was looking for. Of course. 
Wow. I mean, it's like equipping your nickel bolus to your nickel bolus. Exactly. Or like using Mycosin lattice with your cough of the hammer so that you can equip your, so you can animate your mountain and equip a mountain to your mountain so you can swing a mountain at your mountain with mountains. <laughs> while you're mountain swinging mountains at your <laughs> I wanted to build wow. like a, a 60 card casual deck around Bludgeon Brawl and Kemba. <laughs> and Micah Synthlatus, yeah, yeah. so I could equip all of my lands to Kemba and make a crap ton of cats. <laughs> Good, I like it. <laughs> I mean, there's only so many times that... Pe- I mean, at the very least, you can actually beat people over the head with your top while- whenever they complain about you playing top. True. All right, so we're going to go on to my Thunder card. My Thunder card's going to be Ways of Aggression. For three Boros Boros, that is to say hybrid mana that you can pay red or white for, you have a sorcery that says, untap all creatures that attack this turn. After this main phase, there's an additional combat phase followed by an additional main phase. So, okay, another combat turn type effect, like we've seen these before. But this one has retrace. You may play this card from your graveyard by discarding a land card in addition to paying its other costs. I love, this is the, this is the reason why land tax gets to be in my Boros deck. <laughs> <laughs> like it's literally just gas. Like I could, like there are so many decks that I could put land tax in. I could invest in more land taxes, but no, it goes in this one deck because it has retrace synergy with all the attack steps. Like as long as I hit land drops and I have lands in my hand, it's just free gas. Like oh, I top deck a land. I guess I'm swinging super hard this turn. And like it's already an Aurelia based deck, so that means I'm getting three combat steps this deck every time I draw a land. I love these. <laughs> All right, then. So, up next, Calvin, what's your last card? <coughs> okay. Uh, Will of the Council, between one and three. Two. Two. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. William gets to choose this time. What did you? Two. And two is... Mechotic Slime. Uh, four colors. <laughs> green. Four, four ooze. Slime comes into the, um, comes into play, and it's a creature with an effect on it that says, when it dies and goes to your graveyard, you get to put two... Two two green ooze creature tokens onto the battlefield, and they have when this creature dies and goes to the graveyard, put two one one green ooze creature tokens onto the battlefield. It's the original reform. Yep. Basically, it starts okay. off as a four four for five, and then if it dies, you get two two twos. So it's still four powers divided amongst two bodies, and if either one of them die, that token then puts in two one ones. So you still have four power divided across three bodies, up to four bodies, depending on what happens. And then at that point, then you start losing value. So it's a creature <laughs> that kind of like replaces itself three times. It's anti-wrap effect, basically. Like you put it on the field and go ahead, wrap the board. I could care less. In fact, here, you know what? I'm playing green white here. Let me wrap the board for you. And. You know, it just kind of allows you to, if you're in a wrath-heavy meta, you can avoid up to two wraths before you actually lose creatures on field with this guy. Uh, options number one and option number three were Overwhelming Instinct, and option three was Keswick Cage Breakers. Ooh, I forgot about Cage Breakers. Yeah. They're good. Card's so dumb. That might have to be considered for my Sadissi deck. <laughs> uh, cage breakers and sadisi is the best thing ever. So. <laughs> I'm kind of surprised. I don't know. It just costs a lot of mana. Is the problem? Eh, yeah. But you get wolves. It's so awesome. But they're not zombies. They're wolves. It could be zombie wolves, but they're not. And, then, no, wait, wait, wait. No, no, that, you uh, can play xenograft and then declare zombie. I would rather play conspiracy. Conspiracy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I was then like, you have a zombie wolf conspiracy. conspiracy. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Zombie wolves. It's a conspiracy. Yes, it is. 
Oh, now See, I get to... Does he, does oh, he, now I get to... Well, hold on. I was going to say against conspiracy, because I think Xenograph adds the creature type, and Xenograph... Yeah. And conspiracy just overrides it. Yeah, but... So, like, you can't have, have zombie rules. They would just be straight zombies. But then... But the thing about conspiracy is that it allows me to use Rooftop Storm... Uh-huh. Okay, that's ...for right. any creature in the deck. Alright. Like, I could have a Panglacial Worm in my deck, cast it for free off of Rooftop Storm while searching. Hey, you know what else you can have? What? The next card. <gasps> Oh. Well, as uh, as as Calvin just stated, um, wrath effects are kind of annoying when you're playing uh, when you're playing your aggro decks. So wizards in M15 gave us this nice beefy dude that can help us mitigate that. Fred, it's Nornzilla. It's the soul Uh-oh. of New Phyrexia. It's a 6-6 for 6 colorless, so it can go into any of your decks, and it has an activated ability for 5 mana. Permanence you control gain indestructible until end of turn. So that wrath that someone's pointing at you, uh, nope. That, that, uh, that world slayer on the other side of the table, nope. Um, and then it also, if they manage to kill it, you can activate that ability also by exiling it out of your graveyard. So it's just wrath insurance for days. It also says, if you have six mana open, you can just nev disc and lock everyone out. Oh, that too. Potentially. Yeah, I... There were some sad people at my table when I realized I could do that. <laughs> and, uh, I, and I'm still going to call her Nornzilla. But yeah, uh, Soul of New Phyrexia is absolutely nuts, and should go into any deck that cares about keeping its permanence around. Most decks. Maybe not every deck, but most decks. So, oh, uh, something that I, that came across my mind earlier. We were talking about ways to give uh, Mono White the ability to fly. <laughs> the close now, now we're discussing indestructibility. The first thing that just popped into my head yeah. just now was um, Eldrazi Monument. Yeah. Mm. There we go. Yeah, that's how White gets its guys in the air. It's a good one. There's also a Chromus Memorial. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Mark. All right. So my final card. I guess isn't really going to help with getting there, but it might help you get there with the mana side. So Druid's Repository is my final <laughs> one. Um, so for one and two green, man, it's the same thing as Champion Lamborn. I'm on a, I'm on a mana cost uh, little train rail today. It's an enchantment where whenever a creature you control attacks, put a charge counter on Druid's Repository, and then remove a charge counter from Druid's Repository, add one mana of any color to your mana pool. So, with any kind of decent token strategy, like, this gets redonkulous really quick. Um, And usually, like, people don't usually target it until I get, like, I don't know, like 16 tokens or 16 charge counters on this thing. You know, you can take them off instant speed and pay for what you want. Like, this and any kind of, like, blue-green deck is ridiculous for holding up counterspell mana. Um, Or if you just want to do anything you want. Like, when would you not want more mana in your hand or more mana at your disposal for doing things you're already going to do, which is just attack? My favorite part is you don't even have to get there with a stupid token. You just have to declare attacks with them. So, play this (laughs) card, people. All right, and Cassidy, for the final card of the night. All right, my last card is Sun Quan, Lord of Wu, who is a, uh, <laughs> who's a P, uh, P3K uh, blue legend that got reprinted in the From the Vault Legends, which is why he's accessible even slightly. Um, so uh, Sun Quan is four colorless, blue, blue, three, three for humans. I want to say soldier. And then... Um, he's yeah, a soldier. And he's a soldier. And then uh, he makes it so that all... Um, Excuse me. All of your creatures have horsemanship, which is basically uh, 
baby flying, I guess is the way you say it. Like, uh, you can't fly. better than flying. Yeah, it really is because flying is, you know, ubiquitous and this isn't. So, like, you can only block a horsemanship creature if you have a horsemanship creature. And since they're few and far between, basically, Sung Kwan reads all your dudes are unblockable. That's pretty much how I read them every time. And, uh, I think the thing I like about Sun Quan the most is I think it's kind of goofy, um, because of the, the different things that you can put on, uh, said, uh, said horses. Like, uh, I definitely had that card in my, um, uh, what was it called? The, oh, the Relentless Rats deck that I played as, as a, a bug deck. And that was, that was always quite hilarious because, uh, basically, um, you know, uh, you'd put the rats on the back of the horse and they can't be blocked. <laughs> like, Guys, this makes sense. Or like, um, hold on, hold on, Cassie. So what we're saying is, you put the rat on the horse, and then you enter them into the Kentucky Derby. So now we have the rat race. Exactly. Exactly. You 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 took a long time to get there, but that's exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it's also really fun. It's also really funny when you're playing blue and most of your creatures fly anyway. So then you're like, wait, what? So how is this? This Drake is on horseback. Well, you can't block it with your flyer. Well, you it's can't. It's a Pegasi. Yeah. What? What? So, uh, <laughs> I think that's the reason I like that card more than anything. I think it because it's flavor. It's, yeah, it's flavorful and also you know it costs six, so I don't feel like it's overpowered at all. I think it's probably one of the few blue cards that's like not uber overpowered. So like, uh, I yeah, I just I just love everything about Simplon. He's hilarious. Yeah, but see, with Towerman, you get the ch- chance to quack some duck jokes. <laughs> How could I forget? <laughs> Alright then. So that does it for our technology segment. Hopefully we were able to help you out with that. But unfortunately, this means it's the end of the show, which means it's time to take it to the outro. Whoa. Oh, that was so sick and right. <sighs> okay, so... Is there enough dangly bits at the beginning of this thing for me to put them into the spots in between the episode, in between the segments? Potentially. I mean, unless you just want to bullshit about something for four minutes here. Dangle. Like, I can talk dangle, about, dangle, dangle. I can talk about the, uh, the waifu panda some more. That was pretty awesome. Mm, I'd rather you not. <laughs> <laughs> the, the most, the most polite fuck you I've ever heard. <laughs> We're all good, thanks. So, this has been Commandercast episode 212. I want to go ahead and thank everyone for showing up today. And Cassidy, thanks for joining us tonight. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me on. It's been a while. Oh, yeah. Actually, this is hopefully going to be the start of a small string of things where we actually go ahead and we just bring people back because it's been a while since we've had guests, period. Oh, okay. Yep. It's always great to have Cassidy on. Calvin, Mark, Clay, thanks for coming on, guys. I missed you guys last week. <laughs> oh, you didn't. You were out at your con doing your thing and hugging your girl and everything like that. I understand. Like, you're like if, I had that, if I had that kind of luxury, if I had that kind of life, I probably would have done it. Contact information. Let's go ahead and hand that out now, starting with our guest, Cassidy. If people want to reach you, how can they do that? Uh, the best way is usually Facebook. I haven't really done the Twitter thing uh, since Off Color Cast was over, and even then I didn't really. Uh... I also have my articles on TCG Player every Thursday. Uh, if you get the TCG Player newsletter, I also have an article in that, like a little uh, 300-word blurb. Uh, and then um, if you're in the Illinois area, I am. Uh, I do own a store in Geneva, Illinois right now. It's the Geneva Gaming Goat. It's a chain. Uh, it rules. We play EDH. You guys wish you could do that. Um, I do. I do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, you can you can send me an email at my uh, 
my article's Gmail account, which is uh, fatstacksedh at gmail.com if you want. Um, that, that's pretty much my contact information. Thanks for having me on, guys. Anytime. All right. So, Calvin, people want to reach you. How do they do that? Uh, if people want to reach out and contact me, it's pretty simple to do. I'm Captain Red Zone on Twitter. That's at Captain Red Zone. Or you can hit me up with an email in Gmail at CaptainRedZone at gmail.com. Or you can go over to the Commander Cast Facebook page and hit me up over there. Typically, it's me, William, Judd, doing things there, blah, 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 stuff, monitoring, posts. <laughs> <laughs> we monitor everything. Clay, if people want to reach you, how can they do that? Um, you can find me on the Twitter and the Reddit and the Gmail as EDH Panda. Um, and we are trying to figure out what our streaming schedule is going to be for um, now that we're back at school. Um, we should be getting a 2DS capture card soon, which will be really, really sweet. We are getting it for each other for our anniversary. Oh, yeah. Um, for people who don't know, I stream with my girlfriend on Twitch as Pandalpaca. You can also follow us on Twitter for updates. But yeah, our first anniversary is this coming weekend, which, if you're listening to this next Monday, is actually yesterday. Huh. And we are going halvesies on a 2DS capture card. Alright, Mark, if people want to reach you, maybe submit something for Deck Builder Spotlight, how can they do that? Emails. Uh, my email's in the show notes. I have toyed around with the idea of getting back into social media recently. Uh, but I don't know. Just make Twitter, Twitter solely for magic if, stuff. Yeah, if you get into the social media thing with the Twitter and stuff, that'll give you a lot more people that'll hit you up for deck builder concepts. Yeah, I know. Not I feel like I can't. Really saying you have to. <laughs> yeah, like I don't know. The funny part, part is, part. like, I don't know. I have a Twitter account. I just never use it. So I should probably, <laughs> ju- I should probably just use the damn thing. Yeah. I don't know. And I never give it out. And I just whatever. So who knows? Maybe I will. I don't think I can be like a, a social media luddite anymore. Not in 2015. Like, it makes you feel any better, Mark. According to Judd, I'm the commander cast gatekeeper to you. <laughs> like, basically, people on Twitter hit, hit Judd up on Twitter for random things, and then Judd, like, just links me into it and just says, Axe Calvin. And then, like, I see, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to ask Mark something real quick. It's like, oh, okay. I just click their thing, and I just email it over to you or, like, talk with you. Or be like, yeah, this guy wants nice. to do this thing. <laughs> Oh. I'm, I'm, I'm good for that. <laughs> so, so, so if you want, you can just tell people just to contact me. <laughs> I, I, feel like, <laughs> I feel like quality control. So like you want to get, get in contact with Mark, you got to go through the captain first. I'm good. I, it's like you're my bouncer, man. I'm totally fine with that. <laughs> His agent. So if you want to get in touch with me here personally, me, William, the host of the show, the voice of the Commander cast, you learn to save your commander of God's Marine. Email me, wiehernandez at gmail.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at luram1409. So, if you want to message us here at Commander Cast Prime, be sure to check us out on the Facebook page. Like Calvin said, it's manned by him, Calvin Judson. And then I try and get in there if, you know, something just gets forgotten or anything like that. You can also tweet us at CommanderCast or email us CommanderCast at gmail.com. Leave us a review on iTunes and we'll read off any five-star reviews on the air live. Thanks to everyone who contributes to our website. You're all fantastic people. And if you're not listening to Squirecast by Matt and those guys, please do. Like, I listened to them, and after a few episodes, I was convinced, you know what? These are guys I want to have on the website, so go ahead and give them a try. Music for our show is the X Meets Heavy Metal series by 331 Rock. Check them out on YouTube, support us Patreon. We'll see you next week with more community, strategy, and technology. Until then, let's get it!
was it? We got a message on Facebook. Uh, was that the one about the guy who was having trouble with his wife's deck that he built for her? Yeah. <laughs> I saw that one. And I'm like, okay, so you need help beating the deck that you built for your wife. But the thing is, I found it interesting because it was like, um, it was basically he had built a Boros deck for his wife and he needed help beating the deck. And then as I went through the deck, I'm sitting there looking at it. It's like, man, there's some really amazing cards in here and some a few cards that I hadn't even seen before. And I got a chance to get back to him with things that I thought would help him, like, come up with ways to defeating the deck in the color combinations that he enjoyed or that I thought he might want to use. But then I'd kind of lost track of the actual message because right about that point is when I started contacting everybody from Squirecast to get everything set up with that. And then I saw he uh, messaged me back, and I was like, okay, so I'll have to write him back. But then I completely forgot to write back his thing or and actually see what he had there. Hmm. Hold on, let's see. What, what was the second message he sent? Because the initial message was him asking like for help beating the deck. And then I gave him a bunch of like uh, suggestions for like how to beat the deck with uh, mono blue stuff and how to deal with it with blue and other combinations of colors, blue, green, blue, white, blue, black, and all the other stuff like that. There and go. let's see here. There it is. Let's see. What was the last thing? Uh, it was David. Hey, David. Uh, thanks for sending us a message. Sorry, I didn't get a chance to get back to you. Let's see here if I can respond to this now. I will try increasing bounce effects in order to try and survive. Uh, by the way, did you see any cards she is running that she shouldn't or any cards that she should be running? I'm guessing the two of us are in kind of a power ramping. Blah, 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 blah. And also, thanks for all of the help you have given in making that deck already. I made it for my wife, basically following advice I got from you on Commander Cast episodes. Oh, yeah, there we go. Hey, like this one. Yeah, just like this. So if you're still hanging out for the dangly bits, and most likely you probably will be because I just shoot you a message letting you know, like I went ahead and talked about your wife's Boros deck in dangly bits of the Commander Cast episode. So let's see if I can pull this up real quick and get a chance to run through here to see what cards are in here that may or may not be needed to be changed around. You ready to take this journey with me, Will? Let's go. Okay, so do you have the link? Link to what? To the deck. Which deck? The Boros, the guy, uh, the guy, yeah, his I, wife's I was Boros just deck. On, I was, I'm sorry, I was just on that and I had to click away for something. Hold on. Copy, um, I'll copy it and I'll stop, drop it into the Skype um, chat. Hold on. Hold on, I'm, I'm literally right there. Okay, then never mind then. Back to... Back to Tapped Out. Back to Tapped Out. All right, so we have General Oroas, God of Victory, God of Lifts, God of... Do you even, brah? Do you even? No, nah, so that stays right where that is because, you know, he's great for a uh, uh, aggro strategy anyway. Primarily, yep. like, if he doesn't turn into a creature, it doesn't matter because he makes all of your guys basically have to be double-blocked and don't die in combat. If mm-hmm. he does turn into a creature, then you got yourself a big-ass, big-ass that's indestructible. So, let's see here. And then the creature suite has Anaxenza, Anix inside me. So, let's see, there's Anix in there inside me. Let's see what kind of enchantments we have here. Oh, wow. He put a, he put a yit into his wife's deck. Yeah, okay. All right. That takes real love right there if you're willing to put up with your significant others yet. So, as far as Annex and Samedi are concerned, from what I can see, he has no enchantments that he's going to want to toss onto it. She's not going to have any enchantments she's going to tar- target Annex and Samedi with. Let's see, that's... It's like really like one or two things. I mean, it's still a good creature in and of itself, but let's see if there's anything in the instant speed thing. Split second, four hours. I think it's less about wanting to put, like, Enchantments on it, like you could put like the um. Uh, I'm not saying like I'm not saying like enchantments. Well, hold on, hold on. I was, I, I was going. 
Yeah, like I was about okay. to say, like you can actually, and what you might want to consider is like a lot of the uh, protection from color stuff. Like you have Apostles' Blessing that was in Modern Masters recently. God's Willing was in Theros, and that's a really good card too because you get the scry one. Actually, maybe maybe even just combat tricks if you're playing one on one. Like uh, maybe you want to grab one of the, some of those instants and sorceries that give double strike. Like uh, uh, well, there was one from Dragons of Tarkir. What was it? No, not Dragons. Fate. What was it? It was uh. Give uh, give your guy double strike for two mana. If you have something that has power four or greater, it gets trampled too. Yeah. Well, the thing is, like, it's not a deck based around Annex and Samidi, but there, from what I can tell, there's about five cards in this deck, six maybe, that could be used to kind of trigger it. There's the Apostle's Blessing. There's the Charm, Boros Charm, just Dawn Charm, because you can target it and regenerate it. Uh, do do do, and then in the enchantments there's angelic destiny. I believe that's the only enchantment that's there. So that's well, she could use sha- she could use shackles over and over again for four mana. Wait a second, shackles. Uh, enchanted creature doesn't untap during his untapping. Yeah. So yeah, like so she's got in- like shackles. So there, that's something that could go in there. So I'm guessing that's something. Can I just say that I love the Gleelet Faddle slash Banshee's Blade type things? Like I love, mm. like I love those kinds of effects that start small, but then they snowball into this thing that you just can't deal with. Right. Actually, hold on. What's the one card that's in here that I really wanted to talk about? It's a creature. Where are you? Do no, no, no. There we go. Sworn Defender. Now that's a card that I had never seen before, but upon reading it, I was like, hmm. That's a card that I'm going to have to, like, put into my side notes that I'm going to have to remember to bring up on a later episode. Uh, basically, it's a two-colorless double white, and it's like a 1-3. But you can pay one mana, and it changes its defense to one more than what the attack of a creature that's blocking it, or it's a blocking by, or something like uh, Let me just see if I read it. Uh, change Sworn Defender's power. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I have the oracle up here. For one, Sworn Defender's power becomes the toughness of target creature blocking or being blocked by Sworn Defender, minus one until end of turn. And Sworn Defender's toughness becomes one plus the power of that creature until end of turn. Right. What? So, basically what happens is it goes, instead of it being a 1-3, if you're blocking Sworn Defender with a creature, Sworn Defender's defense becomes one bigger than what the attack of the creature that would destroy it is, so Sworn Defender doesn't die. But Sworn Defender's attack becomes one less than the defense of the creature that you're that you're attacking or blocking, so it doesn't kill what it gets in front of either. Okay. See what I'm saying? Yeah, I I get. I just wow, that's a lot of mental gymnastics for me to flip through something that should be simple. Right, and the main thing that I like about this card is the fact that like yeah, it is a Sworn Defender. Like nothing's getting through it without some type of weird combat trick or ability. And it's just going to sit there and block one guy all day. So a suggestion that I would want to include, what is it? What's what's the card? Uh, uh, all creatures must block this creature. Um, all creatures must block this creature of Abel or all creatures. Or this creature can block multiple creatures, something like that. What is it? Uh, it's you like think, the hundred uh, but I can't remember the name uh, of the card. It's not Pariah Shield. It's the, um, uh, what was it, Palace Guards had that effect? Yeah, like, we're not like how Palace Guard has the effect where it can block as many creatures as it wants to. Yeah, Palace Guard has that effect, and then there's, it's either an equipment or an enchantment that does that. Hold on, let me check something real quick. Let's see, look through the text. So, let's see, Avatar of Hope has that ability. There's, ooh, Blaze of Glory. 
well, what, what's Blaze of Glory do? Blaze of Glory. Instant white. In, yeah, it's a one mana instant in white. It's like $8 on TCG because it was only printed up to revised. Cast Blaze of Glory only during combat before blockers are declared. Target creature defending player controls can block any number of creatures this turn. It blocks each attacking creature this turn if able. Wow. I like that quite a bit. So if you get that and you swing, if you get that under, it's an instant, right? Yeah, it's an instant. Ooh, you can put it under under the Iso Scepter. Yep, you can take that, put it under the Scepter, and you can swing with the Sworn Defender, pale white, and that you tap the scepter, give like target the defender, make it so it can uh, basically attack or block or every basically have everything get in front of it, and then you pay a single mana and change its defense and toughness equal to the total attack and defense of all the creatures that's there. Because from my understanding, the way its text should work is that any creatures that are blocking it, it gains their powers and their defense. Correct. Uh, but. Because it gains the power and toughness of oh no no it says power and toughness of target creature blocking it so you yeah have to pay yeah there you go but, on not, so, but on the other hand if you have enough mana you can still pay oh uh, no because then it would just switch with each okay creature he, that okay here's what you do Kithian can be indestructible you just block with Kithian <laughs> there's also an enchantment called Entangler for two white white it's an uncommon enchant aura from prophecy. Enchanted creature can block any number of creatures. Four mana, jam it. There you go. Yeah, but thing is, now that now that I've gotten a chance to read it, since it has to be target creature, it doesn't it doesn't matter how many creatures it blocks. Ooh, thought left trio can do it too, but you have to champion the kithkin. Yeah, but it's not. I'm saying, like like you like if that's the case, you just want to put the you could use that effect and put it on a creature that's already indestructible. You wouldn't use it on a sworn defender because the sworn defender, while granted, it can become a five five. If you activate the ability and target a different creature, it will no longer be a 5-5. Five, five. It will switch to whatever the new creature's stats are. See yep. what I'm saying? Oh. So even Valamid. if it does block, like, four or five creatures, it doesn't matter. Unless one of those creatures is really huge, it's not doing anything. Hold on, hold on. I'm just Blaze of Glory got a functional reprint, kind of, with Valor Made Real, which got reprinted in Conspiracy. It's also a one-mana white instant that says target creature can block any number of creatures this turn. It just doesn't have that weird res- timing restriction thing on it. Yeah. And it's a lot too But I would have to say, like, I would have to say, like, this deck is actually pretty well, like, built. There's not really much I can look at to be like, yeah, you might want to change this and or that. Yeah, like, I personally would, what I would do personally in terms of making it, uh, it even has a little more efficient. There, so you can go ahead and get your Sunforger package going in there well. All that stuff you mentioned. Oh, yeah. Me, personally, I like the idea of having, like, a um, uh, a Heliod's Pilgrim and an mm-hmm. Oromancer in there, and then having just a couple more Aura-type removal spells. Like, you can have Suppression Field... Uh, not Suppression Field. Suppression Bonds in there. Uh, a couple more Arrest or Pacifism-type effects. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you could put Dark Steel Mutation in there. Like, right. yeah, they have an indestructible blocker forever, but if you're playing multiplayer and they have a big thing, that's a thing you can do. So maybe Pacifism is just better if, you, if you're playing one-on-one and you just want to beat face. Yeah, like the one thing I would have to suggest is in his maybe board, he has a Loxodon Warhammer. I would suggest putting that in there because it makes all of your smaller creatures that much more lethaler. Oh, yeah, Loxodon Warhammer goes in all the things. Like, I would take out... Uh, um, what would we take out that? Um, I was about to say Godsend, but... I would probably go... I would probably, I can easily see Godsend being put into the sideboard, depending on, like, the meta you're playing with. Like, the Godsend is actually just the same equip cost... 
as the hammer, but the hammer keeps you in longer. Like, right. the godsend is incredibly potent, but at the same time, the hammer just, it pushes through damage more easily, and it stabilizes you. Right, because, like, the two things that, only two cards in here that I would think about maybe swapping out the, swapping it out for might be the, um, Banshee Blade, because Banshee Blade doesn't do anything until you get any counters on it, so you're paying mana, and unless you can get through, like, you know, chances are you will inevitably get through with it, but you kind of got to work to get those counters. Hmm. Whereas with, but like if you have the Banshee Blade in there and the Hammer, since the Hammer gives you Trample, the Blade just automatically stacks up counters from it, making it even bigger. Let's see, uh, Unexpectedly Absent is another card you would want to put in if you want to, like, increase your Sunforger package, which I would recommend. Like, you've only got 9 instants, I would want to bump that up to potentially 11. Like, in my own Boros deck, I actually have very limited options because... Other decks took all the good cards. But I'm trying to see what else I have in there. Uh, let's see. Disenchant's already in, so that's good. Um, uh, and Dave, if you're listening to this, I would like for you to hit me back up and tell me how the, like, how, uh, what is it? Uh, a bright flame has been working for you. The sorcery that's X, double red, double white, with radiance. Because in my personal experience, Radiance cards never seem to really work out that well for me, but you have it in here. So, you know, your wife must have gotten, must be getting some type of mileage out of it. So just, you know, let, hit me up. You ain't gotta like, it ain't gotta be all that like soon or anything. Like, you know, we're here. We're waiting. We'll be around. Just saying. Okay. So uh-huh. a couple of instances you might want to consider. Um, off the top, let's see. I might have to grab my Narset deck to figure out what red cards I would want. But white cards, you can have, like, Afterlife, which is a three-mana white instant that says destroy target creature. They get a 1-1 spirit that flies. Mm. You have, let's see, Path to Exile is the most obvious one that's missing that I can see. Return to Dust is a really, really good white staple. Four-mana, white-white. So it's a four-mana white instant. Exile target artifact or enchantment. If you cast a spell during your main phase, you may exile up to one other target artifact or enchantment. Right. And if you're going to put the path in, the card I would suggest taking out would probably be the Change of the Rocks, because you're not always guaranteed to have the mountain. And last thing you want to lose is have someone destroy destroy your mountain and they get their creature back. So. Yeah. Like, you can take Change Oblivion. Oblivion Rain is good because it hits anything, but you can take out, like, a Journey to Nowhere and put in a Banishing Light, which is just a functional upgrade if you don't mind paying the one extra. Uh, another instant that you can play is Orm's Thunder, which is the three mana white instant with a kicker of one red. Destroy target artifact or enchantment. If Orm's Thunder was kicked, it deals damage equal to that permanent's converted mana cost to target creature. You can also put it, you can also put in Orm's, uh, Silence to keep him out of a sort, to keep him out of casting any spells this turn. And you might want to consider taking out, out something else and put in the, uh, the Isoceptor. So that you as a player can have equipments. And here's something, and another card that, uh, if you're going this removal package, something that I would suggest putting in that a lot of people never see coming is, is something I mentioned before was a devouring light. If the instant has convoked, it's one colorless double white. Remove target attacking or blocking creature from the game. You can pretty much activate it as long as you have creatures and you, even if you don't have any mana, as long as you've got creatures that meet the convoit cost, like, you know, two white guys and maybe like a red or red and white guy. As long as you have three dudes, you can, like, you know, get rid of something that was a pain in the ass. And it's removed from the game, so it's permanent. So it's kind of like, if you do it correctly, it could be basically like a free path. Yeah. Um, and you can still use those guys to block with and then in response tap them 
in defense and then come and cast the devouring light to get rid of a guy. I still highly recommend Chandra as part of the Planeswalker package. Like, Sun's Champion is really awesome. Nahiri is also awesome. You know who else is awesome? Chandra. Chandra is fantastic. Gideon, Jura, the original one. He would be a good one to have. Yeah, but he's got the he's got the new one in there, so that's good. He's got the Kiffian. new one in there, and Ki- Kideon is good. And he's got he's got a uh, Elspeth Sun's champion and the Lipomancer Nahiri. Well, Kideon is good because he can become a minor Jura. Jura is good because he is Jura. Like right. he go he in, he goes up by two, he insults their entire team, and now he, your opponent has a swing with everything at Gideon, which means that you can go ahead and alpha strike them out of nowhere. Yep. So. I think that's basically like all I can think of as far as like the deck. The deck is like overall, the deck looks really solid, looks really good. There's not really much I can suggest to change from it outside of what we've gone over. I mean, you know, it's one of those things where this deck looks like it works perfectly fine as is. Any changes that we could do to it would just be, it went, it's not like there's anything in here that's really all that bad with the exception of now that I've gotten a chance to reread it, the sworn defender. I'm still an advent of more combat steps. More combat steps equals more damage, which equals more better. Okay, so my suggestion is take out the Sworn Defender, put in a... Uh, I don't know. What's a creature that we've mentioned? Uh, if we've mentioned any creatures, toss in one of those. If not, you can always toss Sandra into that spot. Yeah, Sandra would be pretty good. But, but, the, but then again, the deck would go down to 25 creatures instead of 26. Uh, Actually, but, kind of creature light now that I think let, about it. Let, let but then again, we have Elspeth and we have Nahiri. They're tossing that token, so that's 26, that's 27. Uh, and we have Assembled Allegiance. And see. we have our god, so. Let's see. There's a good, there's a nice theme of double strikers here. Let's see. Sandra, Palefire, Aurelia. Okay, hold on. Let me take another quick look through my my rally deck real quick. Cause I, I feel like there's something I have here that would be really helpful. Um, yeah, so see. like all, yeah, like basically a bunch of those other cards we were talking about earlier could work right here as well. Because we did go over a lot of red and white cards. Like a card, another card I would probably suggest to go in there over the defender would be Hero of Bladehold. Oh, I don't see Grand Abolisher. Grand Abolisher is not here. Nope, I don't see Grand Abolisher. That would be fantastic. Mm. So, uh, the uh, Sword of the Animus that we were talking about earlier on the show. That'd be a cool piece of equipment to have. Uh, you might, maybe you want to swap out the Clue Stone for a Key Room. So then you have a Double Striker guy that you can just make. So you can pay like four mana, make a Double Striker, give him a sword, swing, get value. Yep. Uh, Soul of Theros mm-hmm. would be a good finisher to have. I use it quite a bit. Really any of the Titans. Hold on a second. Actually any of the Titans or Souls that would be very strong finisher type cards because you don't want to have too many of them. Uh, let's see. Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Now that you mentioned that, two, two, one, two, three. Okay, so here, here's a suggestion that I would probably make: take out the Bassandra Battle Seraph and replace her with Sun Titan. Sun Titan? Yeah, I can see that. Go- because a large port, a large portion of the cards in this deck are under um three. Because we've got Anna Fenzu, we've got Annex and Samidi, we've got the Architect, or the Archetype, we've got Figure of Destiny, uh, Bremas, uh, Beloved, uh, the Beloved Chaplain, the Containment Priest, do, who else to see? We also have Kithian, Mentor to Me. Yeah, so, so in the Warp, yeah, a large portion of the creatures in this deck are under three. A large portion of the, let's see about the Enchantments, Arrest, under three. Chains, Journey, Oblivion, Legions, Mobility, Oblivion, Ring, 
Shackles. Okay, yeah, so you got creatures, you have enchantments, and let's see for the artifacts. The blade is under three, the clue stone. Yeah, she has more than enough stuff to get got, back with Sun Titan. Like, yeah, Sun Titan just gets back yeah. all the things. Basically, Sun Titan gets back creatures, enchantments, lands, and artifacts. So pretty much almost every permanent category you have in here, you have at least like three targets that Sun Titan could get back. So I would say take out the Cassandra, replace that with a Sun Titan. It'll cost one more mana, but you'll be getting a 6-6 that comes in and gets you a card and will continuously get you cards. And with the Sun Titan in there, I would suggest bringing in... Gift of Immortality, the three-mana enchantment. I don't think you need card. Gift of Immortality. No, I'm not saying, like, for Sun Titan in general, but it becomes another card that can be used on your smaller guys. You can use it on the... Well, see, that's what I'm saying, is, like, I don't think you need Gift of Immortality because Oros is already your commander. Yeah, you don't need it. Cause, yeah, like, that, yeah, cause not, yeah, Sun Titan's not going to die in combat because Eros is there. That's right, you're right. Never mind. Yeah, like, I was about Take to... Take that back. There's like, no need for the gifts because Eros, um, Eros is there yeah, protecting like, your Titan. Yeah, I was gonna, like, I was about to suggest Pyreheart Wolf, because that's half of Aroas, but I was like, oh, wait, but you can just have Aroas. Right. So then I was gonna say, well, okay. Let's... And you don't have to worry about a tuck rule, so it's not like Aroas um, is going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah. So, like, the, the last three creatures I would probably suggest are all four slots, which are good top ends to a very aggressive curve like this. You've got Odric, Master Tactician, Captain Noblox. No blocks. Who is the four mana three four first striker? Who says whenever he attacks, if he's attacking with at least three other creatures, you get to choose how your opponent's creatures block and if they block at all. And that can be really devastating because then some of your creatures just become removal spells over and over again. You've also got Hero of Bladehold, which is a three four 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 human knight with battle cry. So whenever it attacks, your the rest of your guys get a one zero boost. And then whenever Hero of Bladehold attacks, you get two one one white soldier tokens that come into play attacking too. So she's just like the quintessential aggressive token maker, which is really good with additional combat steps, let me tell you. Uh, question, Will. What episode is this? This what is episode epi- number. 212. 212, episode 212. Yeah. All right. Okay, continue. And uh, I just sent well, Dave a message on Facebook letting you know to listen to the dangly bit section for 212. Well, I was also, and the last one I have is uh, Hero of Oxen Ridge, which I believe is a 4 2 for 4 that has haste and battle cry, and whenever it attacks, creatures power one or less can't block. So, like, they can't, pl- like, whoever sh- this deck is fighting can't drop their Elspeth and just try and come up the board with tokens and stuff to stall. And I think that's okay. about it for my deck. Yeah, that's about everything I can think of at the moment, so I hope that helps you out, Dave. Uh, good luck beating your wife. What? That's a horrible thing to say. I, I didn't know of another way of saying it. Uh, actually, conquering? Uh, good well, no, good no, luck no. of, okay. Good luck of conquering your wife. Cause we all know that women can be really harsh. Um, nah, nah, nah. Nope. I'm nah. gonna cut. You know what? I'm, I'm just gonna leave it with the beating your wife thing. Just have, just say have fun mm-hmm. with your wife. Yeah, 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 there you go. Have fun hitting on your wife. Uh, you, you, what am I gonna do with you? You're going to record another episode with me next week. That's what you're going to do with me. Is, 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 this, is this what Jersey does to people? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> All right. We're done here. Good All night, right, everyone. Now. Say good night, Calvin. Good night, everybody.
Madagascar.com.